You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in, have a seat, grab some space. Uh, today, we are uh, going to present to you the latest of the Fujifilm Creator Series. This is a series that we've been doing here at the show for the past year. Uh, we have a partnership. One of our sponsors, one of our creative partners on the show is Fujifilm. Uh, we love these guys, and they uh, have been supporting us as a show. They continue to sponsor us, which thank you so much. They're one of the reasons why the show stays afloat. Uh, they're also one of the reasons why we're going to be able to expand the show into some really fun new stuff. Um, but what, what I love about them, what I love about Victor, and if you guys haven't heard the episode, go listen to the past Fuji episode with Victor. Um, he's the uh, guy from Fujifilm that I met initially, and him and I really got along, and I had him on the show, and I love his outlook on uh, life and on creatives. And uh, the two of us talked for a while, and he goes, dude, we got we to gotta team up. And I said, yes, let's do it. And what they've done is they put me in touch with all of these filmmakers, these young filmmakers, these young photographers that uh, they have been supporting, whether Fujifilm is helping sponsor their short films or whether they're just in love with these folks. Um, and so it's opened up a whole new avenue of creatives for me as far as guests on the show is concerned. So it's very fucking useful for us. And what I love about the Fujifilm Creator Series is that oftentimes we're talking to younger filmmakers, people that are either just getting started or very early on in their career. And so for many of you young listeners on the show, these are the episodes for you because uh, we're all going through, they're all going through the same things you are. A lot of those insecurities that you've had, like, do I, is this a good enough idea? Should I make this into a film? Like, how do I shoot this? How do I put a crew together? This is the stuff that we talk about in the Fujifilm Creator Series. So welcome. It's been a while since we've done one. Uh, today's episode is a great one. I've got a director DP duo on the show today. So Alex Levin, he's a uh, cinematographer. He has been working in commercials for years. He does uh, narrative work. Um, he's a very talented guy. He comes from camera background. Him and I talk a lot about that. And with my experiences and my history being a cinematographer, there's a lot to go on there. Um, and then Shane Petsman or Peltzman, he's going to, he's going to hate me for fucking that up. I looked quickly at my page. So it was my fault. <laughs> Shane Peltzman is on the show. He's a director. He comes at it from being a child actor. He comes at it from stage, from stage play work, from creating, uh, stories that are centered around dialogue. And so the dynamic between these two creatives, uh, is fascinating. It's like, how do you take a visual person and how do you take a dialogue person, put them together to create really good work? Uh, I have been fortunate enough to see their new short, the short that Fujifilm has sponsored called Rainfall the Band. And um, I think I might be able to put a trailer. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com right now, I'll put together a page for today's episode and I think I'm going to be able to put a trailer up there. I know they're going to send me some images and stuff. It's hard to listen to a show where you haven't seen the movie. And I keep that in mind when I do interviews like this. Um, so don't feel like you have to have seen this film. I will say this, and we talk about it in the show. 
Um, these guys do a really good job technically with doing a single shot take for a short film. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about that stuff just to guys give you guys some ammunition. Um, and then we're also, we get into like, how do you block a single shot uh, short with your actors and with your camera team? We get into that stuff. And then we talk a lot about, you know, the communication and the process of a cinematographer and a director uh, mind melding, essentially. So it's a great episode. But before we get into it, what's going on? How are you? I don't know when this show is going to come out. I'm recording this ahead of time. So it's hard for me to talk about what I'm going through in my life right now, because this show could come out two or three months later. Um, but in the meantime, what's happening? What's going on with your life? Uh, thank you, everybody that's been following me at Instagram at Mike Petchy and at the podcast Instagram. That's in love with the process. P O D on Instagram. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, I've been posting all sorts of news and information on all the films that have been coming out. I've been giving out links to see who's there, which is my second film, uh, proof of concept film to super fans of the show. So if you listen to this podcast and you've seen 12 cam and you keep asking me, Mike, when's your next movie coming out? Well, only for super fans right now. Do they get to see this film? And are you a super fan? Do you even know what an in love with the process super fan is and what they do? Let me make it easy on you. Simply put, super fans repost my posts. Super fans get their friends to listen to the show. Super fans click on the links below in the description of the episode. They click on all the sponsor links for the show. Um, they repost sponsor stuff. Uh, you guys are just involved. And if you're, what do you get if you're a super fan? Well, you get access to see my films before anybody else does. Uh, you also oftentimes get access to discounts on merch. Uh, if you do buy merch with me, I'm often throwing in extras. Like you might get a super fan pin, a limited edition super fan and love with the process pin. Um, and, you know, when we eventually start doing screenings and stuff, super fans get added to the list and oftentimes might even get in for free. So if you want to be a super fan, write me a DM on Instagram and say, Mike, I want to be in the club. I want to be with you guys. What do I need to do? And uh, we'll hook you up. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. This is a, a, a great episode. I mean, I could have split this in half and interviewed each of these guys separately because there's so much to talk about. And I think the challenge of this one as a host was keeping us on track. Um, but strap yourselves in because this is a good one. We're going to talk with Shane and Alex now on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Shane. Alex, thanks for being on the show, guys. How are you? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's a slow morning here in Los Angeles after a long late night of, uh, honestly, of uh, AI, um, you know, concept art stuff. So that's where oh, really are you, are you, how how is your like, what are you using that for? Because I've been I'm like very intrigued by the whole AI thing. I've, I'm actually like working on a concept for a music video with a friend where we're going to like try to do a portion of it and shoot it and use it as like a dream sequence and run it through like AI kind of like image to image kind of thing. It's cool, man. Like there's a lot of really rad stuff with it and it's, you know, the speed at what at which it's learning is pretty fucking insane. It's um, crazy. It's, it's really wild. I'm actually, I know a lot of people are like threatened by it, but I'm actually very, I think it's really cool. <laughs> I think it's really awesome. Well, and just so the audience, we're, we're, I'm talking to Alex right now, just so the audience knows, cause there isn't visual. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's going on. Um, the, uh, I just had a conversation with my DP yesterday about the whole process. Um, and we're very excited about it. What we use it for, I use it for two things right now. One, I'm working with my writer on two new projects uh, that we're putting together, and it's really cool to put together a imaginative lookbook for the writer, yeah. which is yeah. really awesome, especially when you're like writing out sequences. My The big thing that I've talked about, or the big example that I've given is, you know, I may say to him, hey, I think this horror sequence should happen in a barn. And he's thinking Charlotte's Web, and he's like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, right, right. And so I go through the process of designing with my visual style and my looks and everything else. <clears throat> Here's what I think it would yeah. look like, write a sequence. I, I thought it was cool because there was like there was some stuff that I was working on for a new project, and I was like typing some things in to like mid-journey or something like that. And I was like, I feel like it was spitting things out, and I was like, oh, that's actually kind of like an interesting look. Maybe I wouldn't have considered that. Yes. Uh, or something like that. Not to not to derail this entire conversation immediately. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, this is on everybody's mind and, and this won't be the whole show. But, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a good tool to get over the blank page syndrome. It really is. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think it's it's cool. I think it's interesting. We'll see if it steals our jobs. But I think I for now, it's a it's a cool thing. You know, I don't think it's going to steal. I don't think it's going to steal jobs. And I know that everybody like I could feel it. <laughs> Every, yeah, exactly. Under, underneath, everybody's like, you know, shivering in the back, in the corner of the cage. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think it's going to steal our jobs anytime soon. And just to put everybody at ease in some sort of way, I had this conversation with uh, a buddy who is very deep into it. And he is not a filmmaker. And he said to me, dude, uh, it's going to be crazy because you're not going to need actors. You're not going to need anybody. You're going to just be able to make... <laughs> whatever you want. And I go, obviously you've never made a movie before, <laughs> you know, just, just because I may have the seed of a cool idea that I write down a chicken right. scratch on a pad. I still need other human beings to go through the process of telling me that my, my idea may be dumb and, you know, bringing their own life experiences into it. So there is, there's a right. value to it. And I think if we, as creators aren't afraid of something like this and we're still front loading our creative process with what we do, I think you'd be fine. You and, I, and I think that this happens every time, like a new technology pops up. I mean, I'm sure, and, and it does change things, but like, you know, everything kind of like grows together. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, people felt this way at the advent of like, you know, when, when 
you know, I feel like when I was in college and stuff with like the advent of digital cinema where everyone was like, well, it's over. Like our jobs are done now. Everyone's like cousin is going to be have a camera and make a thing. And that's true to some extent, but you know, you still need people with skills and talent and, and experience. So it's like, you know, it changes, but you change with the, with, you know, the changing environment as well. You know, it's, it all yeah. kind of goes hand in hand and hopefully like kind of works together. Yeah. <clears throat> and maybe we'll come Ideal. back, maybe we'll come back to this a little later, but let me, let me keep us on yeah. track. Cause I can, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Sure we just, Sorry. we just, we just AI'd. <laughs> right. I can, I can do that for episode. a couple more hours. But yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, for those of you listening, um, Shane and Alex, uh, I met through Fujifilm. They sent me over their latest projects and I watched it last night. It's a film called Rainfall the Band. And uh, I've got a lot of questions for you guys, but congratulations on uh, on getting the movie done. Shane, is this the first directorial piece that you've done? How many films have you done before this? What's what's your deal? Yeah, thanks for watching it, man. Um, so this is my fifth short. Um, I started making them about six, seven years ago. Um, Alex and I know each other from film school, mm-hmm. which is how we linked up, and. Uh, yeah, I started as a child actor actually when I was like twelve. After making enough videos on my parents, you know, camera and using my <laughs> action figures as actors, then I was like, "Well, I guess we need humans in these." And then I became the human in them. So started that way, um, and then went to film school and and sort of working on things behind the camera. Uh, moved out to LA as soon as I graduated and got involved in the industry much, much further behind the camera, uh, working for actors and, you know, different productions and then um, live entertainment. So sort of a long winding journey. And then I kind of just uh, derailed. I sort of lost vision of, you know, where I was going after, lost that sight of the, you know, the kid who was making videos in his parents' basement. Um, ended up working in interior design for Weird. a little while. Weird. Okay. Yeah. And then got linked up with Google. We were designing a house for the uh, CEO at the time and got linked up with his team and then moved over to Google. And it was then that I was like, okay, I've really lost Mark here because uh, I started as a filmmaker and now I'm working in tech. And as you and Alex were talking about AI, I'm, I'm just sort of here twiddling my thumbs because I know nothing about this stuff. <laughs> like without people like Alex and other people in the crew in my corner, like I'm just, I'm a playwright without all that. So um, yeah, once I got to Google, I was sort of like, what you know, trying to get in touch with my passion again. And there was a guy at Google, uh, Graham Hancock, who actually edited this film and co-produced it, Rainfall the Band. Um, but he had gear. And I was just like, hey, man, do you ever want to make something? And he was into it. He was doing a lot of video interviews and sort of corporate stuff at the time. So he was interested in doing something yeah, a little more creative. And we started making films together. So, uh, yeah, this is the fifth. And Alex has shot the last three um, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, so you started as a what, what sort of stuff were you doing as a child actor? Commercials, baby. Yeah. Sears commercial, Nickelodeon <laughs> commercial, MTV commercial. There was a Tiger Toys uh, thing in there. There's this drink, belly washers. You remember those drinks that are like the juices with the little action figures on top? Oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, I remember so those. I was one of the. I was some kid walking through the kitchen, getting himself a late night belly washer. Um, <laughs> how old were you? Yeah, how old were stuff. you when you were doing it? So I started when I was twelve. I probably got my first manager when I was twelve, and then just sort Crazy. of 
doing a lot of the, you know, I, I'm from Philly as is Alex. Um, so I'd go, my mom and dad would pull me out of school two or three times a week to take the train up to New York for auditions. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I auditioned for some pretty good stuff too. I got a couple callbacks for Superbad. I, I auditioned as every, you know, one of the three characters in Superbad. I had an audition for each of those. That's cool. Love and Seth and Evan. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, once I saw the final movie, I was like, oh, no wonder they didn't go with me. This movie is hilarious. <laughs> These guys are perfect. Um, but yeah, yeah, the acting was really always uh, number one for me. Um, but I had always been writing all the way through. Yeah. And, you know, whether it was keeping a journal or just writing short stories uh, or writing screenplays. Uh, that was always the through line was writing. Well, what was it like? Uh, I mean, I just had last week we had Clint Howard on the show. So we were talking to him. Yeah. I listened to that, man. That was great. Yeah. And I was he's, talking he's, to He's such a dude. He is. He's amazing, dude. <laughs> but I was talking to him about being a child actor and what that was like and how, I mean, he started younger than you did. Um, but how odd it, it is to be a kid and then have like, working with adults kind of as peers in sort of a weird way, you know, because your crew is sort of, you guys are all on the same mission to get the same job done. Was it strange for you working with a bunch of strange adults that were just sort of yeah. watching every move? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the funny thing for me, so I uh, matured very early. So like when I was 13, 14, I got a, my first fake ID when I was like 15. So I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I was shaving by the time I was 12. So, you know, with actors, a lot of, um, a lot of actors, you know, are in their 20s, even early 30s playing high school. Yeah. And I was the opposite. So I remember doing an MTV commercial. I was 15 and I was supposed to be in a band with these three other guys. We were in like a high school band and the rest of them were in their late twenties, early thirties. Some of them wouldn't even tell me their age. Cause they were like, you know, we don't want to get sort of typecast or anything like that. Um, and that was always kind of interesting to me was that I was sort of playing up while all these other people were playing down. Um, but I do think that's true. It definitely taught me how to interact with adults, work professionally, uh, just in that setting. And also, I think about this sometimes too, is just the amount of rejection I got so yeah. early in life. Yeah, dude. I think that helped me so much with my confidence. Just, you know, the first few, I remember I auditioned for a Brady Bunch TV movie <laughs> and I always had like big curly hair and always, you know, was really into classic rock and stuff. And I was like, oh, if I could be a Brady, I think that would be the coolest thing. I remember just being like, I need this part. I, this, I was born to play Peter Brady or whatever the hell part it was. <laughs> and I remember that was one of my first like big auditions. I remember caring so much. And then by the time I auditioned for super bad, I was like, well, this would be great, but you know, no worries if not. Um, so I think that concept of just being able to handle rejection and just let it roll off your back. Cause you, you know, get rejected yeah. a couple hundred times a year. Yeah, um, yes. It's so, yeah, I think that was probably the most valuable lesson. Wild man, that's cool. And and what school did you guys go to together? Uh, Temple University in Philly. Oh, nice. I, I don't know anything yeah. about it. How was their How was their filmmaking program? It was good. I mean, I think it was you know like most filmmaking programs. I was thinking it, it's kind of like what you put in is what you get out. I think uh, yeah, yeah, they had like decent production classes and that kind of thing. How do you feel about it, Shane? Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
I was always more interested in story, so I've always felt like the lighting projects were always uh, interesting. And then once I hit a certain threshold, it was kind of like, all right, I just need to get the project done so I can move on with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Alex is definitely more of the technical brain, and I think thinking about it in those two ways may be a little different. I remember we had there was one professor, this guy Mark Rosenthal, who was a professional screenwriter, and I remember he was the first and maybe only professor that I had there that was actually like earning a living in the industry and a good one, uh, making Hollywood films. Yeah. Um, the other professors I thought were, you know, had a wealth of knowledge and were really helpful and were coming much from much more from an academic background where our taste in film was very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then how did you guys, how did you guys connect? We, it's funny cause we, we actually met, uh, we did like an, a summer internship program in Los Angeles, uh, through school. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, was it summer of senior year, Shane? I think so. Yes. That would have been 2009. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But we, we kind of like our brothers, uh, <clears throat> had actually known each other at, uh, from like sleepaway camp in Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> and we went out there and my brother was like, Oh, you have to meet my friend's brother, Shane. You guys are going to be on this program together. Um, you know, and then the the rest is history, I suppose. Well, that's cool, man. <clears throat> it's it's always fascinating to hear the story of how directors and cinematographers sort of form bonds and relationships because it really is a marriage, like a creative marriage between you know two different uh, mindsets. And I think that uh, there's a lot of young filmmakers out there that are always on the hunt, like how do I find a cinematographer? How do I find these folks? And it's I think more often than not, it's these, you know, um, organic sort of genuine sort of meetups that end up being a long, long-term, uh, working relationship. Do you guys agree? Yeah. I mean, I think personally, like, I feel like it's like some combination of like history you have with people. And then also it's like, uh, <laughs> like dating a little bit too, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you kind of like meet people and, and maybe you meet like as like a DP, let's say you meet, you know, maybe like 50 directors over the course of time and maybe like, you know, the relationships with one or two like stick, you yeah. know, and it's like a chemistry and a creative vision and like all those things. And it's like that, that's how it works. You know, it's like the, the percentage of ones that like work are small and that's not like any, you know, that's not like anyone's fault. It's just like, uh, you know, the chemistry and the creative vision and all those things, how they like kind of mesh between two people, you know? Well, Alex, what's your process, right? So like, if you're going to meet a new director or if you're hunt on the hunt for a new director, what are you looking for? And then like, how do you, what's the first date like for you? How do you go into the first date? <laughs> Some, what I'm looking for someone who will hire me. Um, <laughs> aside from that. Uh, yeah, I honestly like, uh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure that I have like a super solid approach for that. I mean, I think generally in the past, it's really been kind of just like, you know, because I feel like a lot of the connections that I have now or people I try to work with have been like through commercial work. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, uh, I, you know, I feel like it kind of winds up being like they've seen some of my work and or we've, you know, been introduced through like a producer or like a production company. And then we'll kind of like, honestly, a lot of the times it's been like thrown into a job together. Yeah. And then you kind of mesh on the job and it and it works. Um, and then it's like, you know, with most of these things, I feel like it's like, you know, somebody who 
And I think commercial work is a little different because sometimes it's about execution. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, okay, can this, can, you know, they'll look at me and go like, okay, can he execute this vision? Can he roll with the punches? Can we spend 12 hours with him when it gets stressful on set and the client's frustrated or, you know, asking for lighting changes that nobody wants and that kind of thing. Um, and I think creatively, you know, like I'm prepping for like a short film now that we're going to probably with a new director that I'm probably going to do at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like, honestly, like really, it was just like reading the script she sent me coming in with a couple ideas and like references from movies and then chatting that way and being like, you know, kind of just sharing like what came into my mind when I like read her script. And as we were talking through the conversation, like, you know, I think more of the prep is like just having like, and I'm not the best at this. Shane is much better at this having like, the knowledge of films that you like and, and images in your mind where you're kind of like when you're talking and having a conversation, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, this part of the script or what we're talking about now reminds me of like this scene from this film or a vibe from this film. And, and I think it's just, again, you know, talking about chemistry, it's just so much about like, you know, if, if you and the director are like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. Like I see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and if the conversation flows and the creative flows and you're kind of like, Oh yeah, this all makes sense. We're kind of talking the same language. Or if you're like, you know, you guys are totally off base and mm -hmm. like, you're like, Oh no, this is not what I'm seeing at all. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, really, I feel like it's the determining factor. And, you know, I wish I, I wish I had like a more concrete answer. I was like, Oh, I prep all my things, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's a little more for me. And this just maybe my style going through life and we can get into the psychology of it, I'm sure. But you know, it's a little <laughs> more just kind of like walk in, have, you know, I've done the work I've done over the course of the last 10 or 15 years of doing this. And, you know, that's kind of what I walk in with to some extent. Well, dude, yeah. And I, I mean, to give you guys some history, I have been a director for years, but I also was a cinematographer for years. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I know both ends of it. And it's a it's a fascinating blend of creative minds. And uh, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do, or at least what I would try to do when I was a cinematographer is walk in with at least a strong vision from my initial read, but not be forceful about that vision. Just sort of walk in and go, here's a list of ideas that I have. Here's a list yeah. of, of inspirations that I, I'm going to bring to the table. Does any of this sort of reg that, like resonate with you? Yeah. And I, I think like, you know, and I've done this with Shane and I'm doing this with this new director too. It's like, I think what I'll do sometimes is like read through the script and be like, you know, again, like you're saying, like write down, be like, Oh, this is what I see, you know? And I don't want to be like, you know, you're the director, it's your vision. You tell me, but at the same time, it's like, you know, and I think that that's how you kind of like come to a middle ground with shot design. You know what I mean? Where it's like mm -hmm. sometimes, and I think especially new directors um, and directors who don't have as much of a technical background, sometimes, you know, have a little bit more trouble with like specifically like camera movement sometimes or that kind of thing where they're not sure, quite sure. Sure. thinking about that. Um, and maybe they're just seeing something a little more static or have a more vague idea. And then I think you go like, Oh, well, you know, the camera can move between these positions. It doesn't have to be two shots or let's think about it like this way. Or, or when I saw this scene, or when I was reading this part of the script, I saw this kind of thing. And the director goes, Oh, actually that's much more interesting than what I was thinking of, or maybe more apt for the emotion we're trying to capture. And then, you know, I think it's like anything, right. It's so like collaborative, which is why, pre-production is so important because I feel like, you know, for me personally, like I just need so much time to like let things like 
marinate and just like sleep on things. And like, I feel like the more you kind of like sit down with it and chisel away, it's more like sculpture, right? It's like you have this big block and you have to chisel away at it over time. Yeah. Uh, And that's just like, it just takes a long time. And, and, and you don't always have that, especially with commercial stuff, but with creative projects, if you can afford yourself, you know, months of pre-pro and just, you know, getting together occasionally and being, you know, once every couple of weeks and be like, we'll go through the script again and maybe something new will pop up and, you know, just continuing to refine. Yeah. 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 Cause you're essentially, <clears throat> at least, you know, with my films, I was essentially trying to build the visual language before we even get on set. And so right. what you're, what you're doing is you're sort of bringing, <laughs> it's like you're bringing ancient scripts to a table, you know, like, like this is, <laughs> this is the language that these uh, filmmakers were using that conveyed this emotion that I like. Yeah. Uh, let's not replicate their shots, but let's understand the language. This is the language of editing that was used for this. And it's the, it's, it's what director's prep is going it, to, it's supposed to be. And it's surprising to me. How many people don't know actually how to do their director's prep? Uh, well, and, yeah, yes, and, yes. I mean, and it's really, it's hard. I actually, I recommended this book uh, to this new director that I was working with uh, called, oh my God, it's by Bruce Block. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now because I can't remember. Oh, The Visual Story. Yes, I've um, heard of this book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's cool because I feel like it's like, it's like, kind of just how to progress things through a film and the different elements that can progress and like how you can change like shot design or color or production design to like, even just like influence like the curve or like reflect the curve of a story. And, and Mm -hmm. I feel like even just that is like sometimes something that, you know, people don't think about or is, is a concept that seems very simple on its surface. But like, then you look at this and you're like, Oh, you're like, I didn't even occur to me that, that was a way to approach this, you know, uh, which again is like, you're saying it's that establishment of like visual language, which is a hard thing to do, you know, simple on its surface, but challenging. Well, well, dude, it takes forever. You know, like, you know, Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's in his eighties and he still doesn't have his head wrapped around it. (laughs) Like it's, it's a huge undertaking to, to teach yourself, um, a subtle language. And as a director and, and Shane, we can get into this. There is so many tools at our disposal that if done correctly are fucking invisible. And so to become aware of those tools, I think for me was when I decided to get into filmmaking, I think I went and I took a film course and we watched Blade Runner for the first time. And this was prior, I was in school in 1999. So this was prior to YouTube and prior to behind the scenes videos. So most of the general public uh, was pretty, you know, innocent when it came to how movies were made. I, I, we sure we saw the Jurassic Park, like they're not real dinosaurs, and we're like, oh, what the fuck? But the the rest of us were just like, whatever. So when I saw uh, the Blade Runner film, and the professor was like, hey, what would you think of the wardrobe? What would you guys think of the lighting? What do you think of this? My brain kind of blew open. And I was like, holy fuck, there are people that are subtly manipulating all of these elements. And each and every one of these elements are the things that built to how this weird world felt before anybody spoke a line of dialogue in this movie. Like, how does that fucking work? And that became the source of my obsession for visual storytelling. And uh, how does it work with you, Shane? Did you ever come at it from a visual perspective or were you always a dialogue-based kind of guy? And and we'll get into the film, but Rainfall is really about blocking actors and blocking camera positions. So 
where do you come at films when you start? Yeah, I definitely come more from a story. I mean, as a trained actor, um, definitely the, the language of a film, um, you know, the visual language, I, I know what I like. Uh, there's certain things when we prep me and Alex that I'm stubborn about. And then there's a lot, I think Alex can tell you whether this is true or not, but a lot of room for, uh, him to play and, and, you know, come up with ideas. I think the things I'm stubborn about, I'm just stubborn about. And then the, the rest of it, I'm sort of open to whatever, well, Whether now, Alex, now I'm curious because you've said the, you've said stubborn about twice. What were you stubborn <laughs> about on this movie? <laughs> uh, I don't even know the specifics, but I think certain things I just I, I see it the way I see it, and that's the way I, I want it. Um, and then I think you know maybe that's ten percent, and I think the other ninety percent visually is really up for grabs. Um, and I really relied on the rest of the team to bring their originality and vision to it. Um, but dialogue is definitely, and the rhythm of dialogue. I remember listening to an Aaron Sorkin interview, and he was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, dialogue is music, and and um, conversation is, is music to the ears. And I, and at the time, I remember being like, well, that's super pretentious. Uh, <laughs> and then on this one, I remember being like, no, there has to be this rhythm to the to the dialogue. There, oh shit, I'm doing the Aaron Sorkin thing. Um, <laughs> but it, it is true, and and I, that always my memory of film is usually embedded in dialogue. I mean, from an early age, I was able to recall lines from films um, months or years after watching them, even when I was you know, very young. Mm-hmm. And it's still the sound of movies is really what resonates in, uh, in my mind. Um, and when you say, yeah, I mean, when you say the sound of movies, okay. is it just what's told to you by the actors that resonates with you? Or is it how, the the whole piece sounds is it also like the music is it the sound effects is it all that stuff uh that stuff the the music and sound effects and score and all of that becomes sort of the fabric that the dialogue sits on for mm. me um and the dialogue is really what comes through i think if i could uh write plays and just do plays i probably would be relatively happy as much as i love films the thing i love about films is that you record it and you get to show people over and over and over again and you know send them a link and they can watch it rather than well in in a year there might be another run of this play for three nights and you might be able to see it if you're around um obviously the control element also of film uh you don't have that in theater i mean so rainfall the band was actually written as a short film and then for a bunch of reasons got sort of delayed for, because location fell through or one thing or another. And then I submitted it to the New York theater festival as a short play mm-hmm. and it got accepted and actually won best short play in that, that year. Um, and the f- it was so fun and it lends itself to a play. It is, you know, it's a single location. Yeah. It's just one scene. Um, we shot it as a one so it feels like a play, but the scary thing of a play is you, you know, the curtains come up, the lights go on and you have to stand back and just like pray to God that it goes the way you hope or want, or, you know, you can't make changes as the actors are going. So film allows a lot more control in that sense. Um, and there's so many more pieces. So all of that to say is, uh, yeah, it, it definitely is more dialogue story driven for me. Um, 
Okay. But, I mean, sometimes I feel a little, sometimes I feel a little inadequate when it comes to <laughs> the visual element, which is why I lean so heavily on people like Alex or our production designer, or whoever it is. Well, but you mean, also like just to, to jump in on that, like, you know, I, I, there is a way I think sometimes you don't always have like totally clear shot design in your mind, but at the same time, like you have a very, and I was saying this earlier, you have like a very, very like, almost like encyclopedia encyclopedic you have a very dense knowledge of like uh the films that you've watched and i think you retain that information well so i feel like there's a lot of times when like even if you're like not 100 percent like sure you like you're like oh this scene feels like this i want to feel like this or this i want to feel like this from this film and i feel like you have such like a dense knowledge of that that it it also makes it very easy to have those conversations and watch those films and then like you know, I feel like when you and I have done these together, we kind of like then look at those things and we tease them apart, which actually is like a really good activity to go like, oh, this is you mm-hmm. like this. And then it's like, why do you like this? And mm-hmm. like then like mm-hmm. kind of like tease that and go like what elements, what parts of it and and really break it down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mike, I'd be curious um, when you remember films that you love mm-hmm. uh, or scenes that you love, are you what is that top layer for you? Is it the emotion? Is it the visual? Is it the the camera? What 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 is it for you? For me, I think more than anything, it's tone. So it's it's mm-hmm. it's tone and vibe. And what mm-hmm. I love when I watch a great movie or whenever I reference a good movie or even movies that I remember as a kid, whether I'm talking about Ghostbusters or if I'm talking about, you know, um, yeah, Die Hard or, or some of the classics. I'm, I'm always going back and remembering the atmosphere. So what it felt like in those sequences. And, mm. you know, being a guy that I, I, like, I respect and love dialogue. And I respect and love more than dialogue. I like the, um, the volley of energy between characters on screen. So, like, you've got two people that walk into a, a scene, one person is carrying the energy of the attention of the audience or the intent of the scene, and then they're volleying that back and forth. And it's always fascinating um, to to watch where that goes and how it lands and how a char- how the small arc of just a moment uh, plays out with characters. So um, it's never been dialogue-based. I think that it, I've always had trouble remembering specific lines from a movie, if, like being able to uh, repeat them back verbatim, but I know the rhythm of them really well. And I think that mm-hmm. th- that sort of explains that question. Is it's, For me, it's more about rhythm and vibe and tone than, than anything else, because I, I feel like that's what immerses me in, in movies. You know, yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned Ghostbusters because I think about this often for some reason, which is uh, that scene in Ghostbusters when Bill Murray is trying to uh, get through to Sigourney Weaver, and he's like, you know, I need to talk to Dana, and Dana's possessed, and yeah. you know, no Dana, only Zool, and then starts to levitate. And there's this beautiful moment. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is levitating above the bed, and she's flipping around, and Bill Murray climbs under her and looks up at her, and he says please come down. Yeah. And that the way he says that is like the thing I remember most about Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, It's just this beautifully vulnerable uh, tone that he has. Um, and I think Bill Murray's the king of that, but 
yeah, it's really funny you mentioned that. Well, dude, into okay, so that's what you're thinking when you think of that scene. Here's what I think of when I think of that scene. I think of her breathing. So her. Oh yeah. <laughs> right, and then just the build of that, because she's panting like this dog that that is just pretending to be okay, and then that breathing builds helps add to Bill Murray's delivery. Like his delivery is fucking totally. amazing in that, but like the suspense and the tense that has been built with the music and the subtle bits of music that happen in that sequence basically create this sort of like this this stage or this like shell for Bill Murray to sort of slide in there and just deliver a quiet line and I think it's supported by or it's amplified by all that shit that's around it when he does it totally it's cool as fuck man and the other scene I think of when I think of Ghostbusters is when they're in the jail and they're going back and forth, mm. and they pull out the uh, the blueprints for the for the building. Your girlfriend lives at the penthouse of Spook Central, you know. And the whole <laughs> and if you're talking about pacing, and that scene there actually reminds me of your film a bit, because you've got multiple uh-huh. characters all in the same space, right? They're all volleying for when they're going to say something, when they're not going to say something, and then the blocking in that sequence is very fucking dynamic. You know, and uh, I think a lot of that plays into what you guys were doing with Rainfall, because how many characters was it? Was it five characters that were in that scene or was it six characters? Yeah, there's five main characters and then uh, a bunch of supporting characters who kind of pop in and out. Right. And the whole piece felt like a one shot. It wasn't a one shot, right? Was it? It was. Yeah, it was. Okay. All right. All right. That's cool, man. (laughs) Because it it yeah. definitely felt like one, and I really wasn't paying attention because I was watching what the characters were doing, which I which means you guys are doing your oh, job good. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to your point, like the uh, the thing you don't notice is probably means it was done well, and uh, that definitely is. I mean, Alex operated the camera um, and did a did an amazing job, and that was a song and dance of even just getting to that point of deciding to do it as a one or to t- deciding to do it handheld versus steady cam. Um, all the things that played into it, but yeah, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was a tight one for sure. <laughs> yeah, because then that ends up being what like a fifteen minute shot, right? That's a fifteen minute one. Was it? Yeah, like yeah. 12, 13, something like that. No, no, fifteen. It was plus. fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's super cool, man. A lot. Yeah. How many? So that is uh, quite the exercise because now you guys are just, it seems like you guys would be hyper-focused now on the volley, on it, the volley of energy and the blocking between characters and the blocking for where the camera position lands to, to say the most about each of these characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that was the, the, yeah, I feel like the hard, I mean, it was all hard, but yeah, that was very difficult. And I feel like actually in retrospect, I mean, you know, Shane can speak to this a little bit more like in retrospect, I almost had, I was thinking about this today on the way to, to do this interview. Like I, I, I remember like kind of getting out of there and wishing that I had almost had um, a camera operator to do that because it was so hard to, yeah do the camera work and hit the marks and be focused on the frame and the framing. And you're like, wind up getting lost in the technical. Um, and it was like so much relying on Shane to come in at the end of every single take and go like, 
what was working and what wasn't because it was so challenging just to do the the actual physical camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I part of me had, was wishing that I was you know sitting at a monitor watching it happen so I could think a little more critically about it. Dude, I completely sympathize with you. I just did a uh, uh, my latest short film uh, like a month ago, and it was sort of like a last minute put put together kind of thing. And it was me and an actor sort of in a space, and I said to myself i go well it's been a while since i've shot and directed something i'll just fucking shoot it and so then i was i said to myself well if i'm just gonna shoot it i'm gonna put it on a tripod and we'll just do sticks and i'll keep it very fucking Mm -hmm. simple and so then as i started to prep and i was in the i was in the rental house and they had a really sweet slider in stock and i was like (laughs) i guess i'll use a fucking slider and so then i the first night that we're there shooting um I, I did such a terrible job directing because I was so hyper-focused. I had to be on this fucking slider. And it was like, am I hitting my marks? Am I hitting my focus <laughs> marks? And then the actor would turn yeah. to me and, and go, did I do this? And I, I really started to register. And I went, oh, man, I'm so hyper-focused on whether or not I'm getting it in focus, that I'm not watching your fucking performance. And so we had mm-hmm. to stop shooting that night and then got a camera operator in specifically. Uh. And then... it enabled me not only to be a better director but also better cinematographer at the same time because i had that opportunity to do that so i fucking sympathize with you man because it's yeah camera work is a lot i don't i think a lot of people don't understand the level of talent that it takes to be a good a really good handheld camera handheld camera operator and it's not just being able to keep things steady when you need to keep things steady it's understanding when someone throws dialogue where to land it's also having confidence in saying fuck this i'm staying with this person's reaction because i'm feeling this as the operator right now and then i will move to the person that's doing dialogue because then in the edit there's nothing worse than a, a handheld camera operator who has no fucking confidence and they're jumping all over the place and you're like why am I looking at the perspective of a, of a, you know, an epileptic kid? At this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true. Cause, and it's interesting because like, you know, uh, the, the thing is like, also when you're operating, it's like anything else where I feel like you're like in a moment and you're perceiving time differently anyway. Like I noticed this, you know, I start, I started, or, you know, I've done a lot of doc work and I started with a lot of doc work and like, mm-hmm. you know, I remember getting notes from editors and they would be like, like hold moments longer. Like you're moving the camera away too fast. And, you know, these were like little projects or like, honestly, I remember specifically, you know, a buddy and uh, we were in college and we were shooting, man, we were shooting like videos for a summer camp. You know, it was like kids running around playing soccer, like all this kind of stuff. We had this like w- big contract for us at the time to shoot like all these videos for a kid's summer camp uh, outside of Philadelphia. And like my buddy was editing it and we were shooting it together. And I remember, Mm-hmm. One day he was like, Alex, you have to hold these shots longer. He's like, it's not enough like time for me to cut around these. And I was like, you know, something clicked where I was like, oh yeah, when you're shooting it, you're like hyper-focused and time is like expanding. And you're like, oh yeah, like, of course I'm holding this long enough, you know, but you're so focused on it that it just, you're perceiving it that way. And then in reality, you look back later and you're like, oh, I didn't hold that very long at all. And I think that that, you know, was part of like, that in, 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 you know, in just doing it a million times and being exposed to it a ton, but like, mm-hmm. you know, where you have to realize that your perception of time is different than, you know, actual time and that you have to like 
think in that kind of way. And you have to do that all, you know, like anything technical, you have to do that all automatically uh, and be like conscious of it without thinking of it to distract yourself from other things. Uh, and it's hard. Like you said, it's really hard. It takes a long time to get good at, you know? Yeah, dude. And I, I find that the best operators that I've ever worked with are folks that find that confidence and they understand that what their job ultimately is, is to be the eyes of the audience. That's their job. Yeah, right. And if, and if you go into a scene, you know, front-loaded with everything you need, right? So the the director or the DP may be saying to you, like, look, we need to get a reaction from Marcy, and we need to make sure that we see this line, and we need to make sure that you land here. Like, keep all that in mind. That's running in the back of your head, which is you you eventually figure out how to keep that direction running in there, but also staying pure to the moment, because I'd much rather have an operator f throw my direction out the fucking window right. if they're seeing something that works or they're seeing a moment or if them as the first line of the audience, the first perspective of the audience is going like, she's breaking down here. I'm sticking with it. And, and because yeah. we end up glued at the monitor, we end up glued at preview where we're sitting there going, oh my God, what's she doing? Why is this so great? And it's because the operator sensed that before we did. And that's, that's the, you really want this umbilical cord from your brain into someone else, <laughs> but also like not really sort of, you know, invasion of the body snatching that person. You want that person to also be curious and excited to be at the front line of what's being captured, you know? Well, to me, it's also, it's like, I, I feel this way with most, most people that I want to work with, you know, like crew members, it's like, you know, especially for me, because I came up in the camera department, you know, as like an AC and, and you know, uh, I didn't come up uh, through lighting. Uh, and I feel like, you know, whether it's true or not, uh, that that's like one of my weakest, uh, my weakest thing is like lighting and like, maybe I kind of know ish, but I like, I lean on my gaffers a lot, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and I feel like in that way, like I want someone who's going to like, have an opinion, you know, and, and, you know, not someone who's like, if I go like, oh, well, you know, want it to feel this way. Like, what do you think? Like, let's talk about it. And obviously they, they need to understand what we're going for, not just to be thrown into it, but to go like, to have an opinion and talk with me about it. And I, I feel like I've worked with people who are like, I don't know, what do you want? And I'm like, well, yeah, that is part of the conversation, but it's like, I also want you to have an opinion. And if I say something, you go like, oh, well maybe, you know, to build on it a little bit. Sure, um, sure. And I feel like it's the same with what you're saying with the camera operator, where you want someone who has an opinion as much as they can take direction, uh, but also they can like stick with a moment when they need to, or a gaffer who goes like, that's an interesting idea, but maybe this works because yeah. like they've done these jobs, hopefully a lot more than you have. Hopefully my gaffer has more experience than I do lighting. Hopefully my camera operator has probably been operating a camera longer than I have. And they have seen things, have experiences and have learned from those experiences and, and bring something to the table, right? It's a collaborative yeah. effort at the yeah. end of the day. All right, let's take a moment, take a break, and uh, talk about the sponsor of the show. And of course, the elephant in the room is that this is a Fujifilm sponsored episode. So we are going to talk about Fujifilm. We're going to talk about Fujifilm cameras and how much I love their cameras. I use them all the time. Uh, my, uh, my girlfriend, my collaborator, my best friend, Gina Manning, uh, she uses Fujifilm as well. And we both use it for two different reasons. She started as a photographer. 
And so uh, she wanted to find a large format camera that enabled her to shoot in very low light situations. And so uh, she fell in deep with the GFX 100S and she loved that camera. And then the two of us are using the Fujifilm uh, X-H2S rig, which is the shooter, at-home pocket shooter that I'm using all the time right now. Um, I love this camera because it shoots 4K, uh, it shoots ProRes in it. So being a guy that cuts his own stuff, does post-production, uh, it's very helpful to have a really good codec that comes out of this camera that works seamlessly in whatever edit system that I'm using. Um, and what I love about this rig is it's uh, really low light sensitivity stuff is great. And it's like color management and it's color is really phenomenal with this camera. And uh, I like to pair my camera up with a great lens adapter. So I use a photo deox lens adapter. That's photo deox. Um, and uh, I'm able to mount all of my old school lenses on my X-H. 2S. So I'm able to put like my macro Nikon lenses on this camera. Now, that being said, I also have like a really great bag full of Fujifilm's lenses. And I have like this beautiful 50 millimeter. I think it's like a 1.8. I think it's a very low uh, uh, aperture lens that has a shallow focus. It's gorgeous. And it has really cool autofocus features. So if you need a camera that does a bit of everything and and you'll hear us talk on the show about you know not just doing filmmaking but also having other hobbies or finding other ways to stay creative uh while waiting for your movies to happen i do this podcast um you'll hear uh shane talk about trying to put together communities and go on nature excursions um i i just love having a standalone camera that is in my phone. And I say this all the time. There, I believe firmly that when you go and touch a tool or an object, that tool or object comes with a connotation, right? It comes with history. If you are someone that uh, likes to plant or, or pot plants and you've inherited your grandma's tiny little spade or shovel, Right. And so you go pick that thing up and it's got years of, of wear and tear on the handle. Maybe all the paint is chipped off and it, you just you hold that thing and you remember the history of it. You remember your grandmother, the way she smells, the way the light came into the greenhouse, the gloves that she wore. Right. You remember all that stuff when you pick it up. If you're shooting stuff on your phone, more often than not, I'm remembering the fact that I got a rejection email from a film festival on the same device I'm going to try to take a photograph with. You know what I mean? That's not creative to me. So if you are someone that is taking photography seriously, if you are someone that is uh, trying to be uh, more than just uh, an iPhone filmmaker, and I'm not saying that great stuff can't be made on your iPhone. I'm talking about your mental place, the mental place that you come at stuff with. Disconnect yourself, says the guy who's 45. Disconnect yourself from the internet before you start making something. Disconnect yourself from social media before you start putting together a project because you'll be more in the moment. The, uh, the insane sort of mind manipulation train that exists through your phone device 
won't be fueling what you're shooting. And if that's the case, try out a Fujifilm. There's links in the description of our episode today. They're traceable links. That means Fuji will know that we sent you. So if you click on those links, check it out. I love the X. H2S, but if you're just someone that's looking for a camera, let's say that you don't consider yourself a professional, and I, I like my mother was asking me the other day, she, she started as a uh, uh, amateur photographer, and she's like, I need a new camera, what should I get? And I want something that is just like a point and shoot. Um, they have an XE4 that looks really cool on their website right now. I mean, click the link right now. We'll go through it together. They have like this XT200. I've used this rig. This rig is a lot of fun. It's a great little shooter and enables you to sort of capture uh, real life moments without making a scene. You know, oftentimes you have cameras that are just too big and you pull it out. And then the guy in the shop's like, what are you shooting photos in here for? You got a small little rig. They're really not going to notice. You know what I mean? Um, all that stuff you can find at fujifilm-x.com, but use the links in the description of today's episode because they're traceable links. And then Fuji will believe me when I tell you to tell them that you guys listen to the show. <laughs> also supporting the show are our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market for a brand new computer, maybe you've spent time shooting all your new footage. Maybe you shot your very first short film and you need a good machine. Don't fall victim to the brainwashing that is, hey, you should just go to one specific company that spent a lot of money on their product, right? You get three or four options off their website, and then the way that they make their products at that website, all the hardware is like baked onto the motherboard so that when shit becomes outdated, which it does really quickly, you can't upgrade it. It's such a... It's such a marketing move on their part when they go, well, no, 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 we've made this computer as thin as possible. So we fused all the hardware onto the motherboard, um, but they put a sense of fear into you, right? And they go, but we don't know how long the lowest model is going to be good for. So you should just buy the highest price one that we have. That'd be future protection for yourself. By the time you're done with it, you're looking at that price tag and you've got, you know, two numbers in front of three zeros you know what i mean and you're like well, jesus christ i gotta put down a fucking mortgage on this don't do that man there are other options out there you could build yourself a pc pcs are stable pcs are upgradable pcs have the ability it, this is what i like about pcs as opposed to max pcs work in a world that is all uh you know open market uh you know hardware so all these different companies that are making their hardware they're competing with each other which keeps the prices down because they're always fighting with each other and the cool thing is when you're getting uh like graphics cards or uh you know motherboards the prices drop pretty radically after they release on the marketplace now, if you're someone that doesn't know how to build your own computer, maybe you're someone that runs a post-production business and you're like, I don't want to be fucking tech support for five rooms here, man. Um, I didn't either. So I did the research and I found this company, Puget Systems. They build PCs. They're a company, family-owned company uh, from the Upper West Coast. I love the guys over there. I've been to their offices. 
each and every person that works on your machine, you actually get photos of the people that work on your machine. They send you a little binder, and in that binder has the names, I think they even do the Instagram handles, don't quote me on that, but of each person that has put uh, pieces into your machine. Like you can actually fold through a booklet that you get and see the entire birth process of this computer that you'll be with for at least 10 years, at least. I have my first Puget system kicking around. It's like 12 years old, you know? And anytime there's some new software update that renders your hardware useless, Puget Systems stays on top of that stuff. They're always benchmark testing new stuff. They're always coming up with solutions for why things aren't working. They're a great resource if you're building your own computer because they post all this stuff on their website at PugetSystems.com. But if you're someone that is a customer that has a machine built by them, their customer support I've never seen from any other company that I have ever worked with. No offense to the other companies, but we live in a time period right now where it's cheaper. At one point in time, it was cheaper to put customer service overseas. Now it's becoming automated customer service, right? You're now getting AI customer service, which I don't care how many options they give you on the machine. Whenever we have trouble with our stuff, it's always very specific to what we are doing, especially if you're a creative, because you're, you're usually bending those tools to work for you, you know? And so I hate listening to fucking automated machines where they're like, did you restart your system? Oh, come on, motherfucker. I know exactly what you're going to do. Just get me a real person so that I can talk about this thing, this custom piece that's in my machine. Puget Systems, there are real people that answer the phone. Crazy, right? It's a lot of young people that are like, I have to talk to somebody? What's that like? PugetSystems.com. Check them out or check them out on Instagram at Puget Systems. Now, if you are someone that is, uh, you know, got your Fujifilm camera and you've got your photo deox adapter and maybe you found a very inexpensive, because they're very inexpensive, those adapters. You got yourself a PL mount for your Fujifilm camera and you're excited. You're like, man, I want to shoot this with the same lenses they use to shoot the Joker. Well, how are you going to do that? You're not going to buy those lenses. Those lenses are too expensive right? Well, here's what I advise. And I've said this since the show began back in the day, back when I was in Boston and one of our first sponsors on the show, and I'll give him a shout out for our friends over at Rule Broadcast Systems in Boston. I said this since the beginning, go make a relationship with your local rental house and find a good one. Talk to your filmmaker friends, talk to the people that are around you that rent from them all the time. Find a great one. And what you're looking for when you look for a good rental house is a place that will know your name, right? You go there multiple times. They know who you are. They will not give your gear away to the larger filmmaker that comes into the facility. Suddenly, the stuff that you have on hold is suddenly not on hold anymore because Martin Scorsese is in town. That won't happen. And these boutique places, these smaller places that are run by younger folks really understand the value of forming relationships with young cinematographers and young directors out there. They understand that these are going to be their clients for years to come. And so they put on seminars, they put on events, they have training things. And I'll tell you this, if you're in Los Angeles, the place that I love right now, the place that I'm getting all my gear from, and they do sponsor the show now, which is awesome, is Boca Rentals. Go to BocaRentals.com. Look at their inventory. It's crazy. You want to get your hands on lenses that we shoot, that are used to shoot your favorite Netflix series? They're all up there, man. 
It's really cool. Boca Rentals is the place to go. If you're a filmmaker, if you're a cinematographer, and you're looking to get your hands on the best gear in the marketplace, um, these guys have offices here in Los Angeles and also in Las Vegas. So if you're in Las Vegas, it's, they're also a great company for that. And if you aren't local, I don't know if these guys ship. I have to ask Boca if they're shipping around. But oftentimes, and I'll give you guys a little insight. If you've got a if you've got a local rental house, they often will sub-rent from other companies. So like if you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's a local rental house, you can talk to them and say, hey, can you sub-rent stuff from Boca? Because there's a bunch of lenses and stuff here that I like. So a lot of people don't realize that that can happen. So even if you're not here in California, you can still get your hands on that stuff. There are a lot of options out there for getting gear. I highly suggest... It'll protect you, protect your production, make a relationship with your local rental house. And like I said, if you are in California, uh, Boca Rentals is the place to go. All right. I think I got everybody. Yeah, I got everybody. All right. Let's get back to the show. And speaking of collaborative stuff, Shane, so with this piece, what was your what was your process with the actors? Like did you did you rehearse this thing out like it's a stage play first? Like how did you how did you set the blocking in place for this? Yeah, well funny enough, um most of the actors were in the stage play of Rainfall the Band. So that was a huge upper hand. Uh. It was a year uh in between the two, between the play and the uh and the shoot but the cool thing was that the actors after after one or two rehearsals the the words were just back in their mouths and very comfortable and they all felt the you know that they were just right back in it so that was really helpful there were a couple actor changes um just due to scheduling um but luckily they had that experience of you know weeks and weeks of rehearsals and then putting this this show up a bunch uh at the new york theater festival um and like I said, there were, you know, we've been trying to make this thing for years. So there were rehearsals and table reads of this five years ago and four years ago. And um, it just never got done. So once it finally happened, a couple of the key players, you know, the people in the band and uh, the band manager, um, they all had a lot of familiarity with the dialogue, at least. And some of it changed here and there. Um but it was an interesting song and dance. I mean, originally we were just going to shoot it. Um, we weren't going to shoot it as a one and Alex and I sat down to um, storyboard as we usually do with our projects. And by the second shot, we were like, oh, this is going to be sort of a nightmare to, <laughs> to storyboard this one location. So many, you know, moving parts and stuff. And um, we had this idea to do it as a one and we just kept digging into that so once we decided to do that um we started blocking and luckily because you know we had we did a little bit of a gofundme to get some money for this project and then fuji came in and supported us the rest of the way so we had more 
you know, more budget than I've ever had to shoot a short. That's um, great. That's which great. gave us a little bit of time. Yeah. So we had three days in this theater. And the funny thing is, is uh, the theater where we shot the film uh, is the same theater where we did the play where the New York theater festival was hosted. So we actually just used the dressing room as the set nice. rather than, nice. you know, the dressing room. Um, so the first day we got in was pretty much a build. Uh, we had the, the lighting team in there and the production design team in there. It basically helped. Well, not helped. They did build the um, set day two. The actors came in and we just did rehearsals all day long. Um, and then day three we shot, but, Honestly, even on day three, we were tweaking the blocking. And uh, when we broke for lunch, Alex and I felt like we weren't getting what we wanted and what we had hoped. And it was just a little messy. So we sort of reblocked the whole thing with like three hours left to shoot. We had to break down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the AD, um, yeah, this is the that, first time yeah. our AD was incredible. Um, and she, Juliana, um, Salome. Julianne Salome. Julianne Salome. Yeah. Uh, and she was unbelievable. And she was basically like, you guys, we need to move along. And this was the only time, you know, I, this was the first time I worked with an AD where I was like, Oh, right. You're my boss. Um, <laughs> not the other way around. And I will, I'm asking her like for permission to use the bathroom and permission <laughs> to go, you know, get a water or whatever. Like it's all her schedule. And at one point she was like, we got to stop blocking now. We have to start shooting or we're not going to wrap in time. And, I was like, look, I, and I guess this is one of my stubborn moments, but I was like, I, if we don't finish blocking this, we're not going to have anything to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. So we've really pushed and, it. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Uh, yeah. Just to jump in with that. Like, I feel like I've, I, you know, I remember saying something to her too. Like I've, exp I remember experiencing that on like a commercial job too. And like, mm -hmm. we're like, you know, you're doing this thing where it's like, oh, we gotta, everyone gets like crazed. It's like, you gotta get this and time's running out and this and this. And it's like, look, you can either continue to do the thing that's happening right now. Like, stop you can continue to do this that's happening right now and it's not working or we can take the extra five minutes which i know is going to stress you out and we can just sit there and like figure this out because like i feel like sometimes on set right it's like you're up against time it's money it's sure everyone's it's like things so many pieces are moving and i feel like sometimes you just really really have to like stop you know um and it's like so important to do that especially when you know when that feeling of like chaos hits, I feel like, yeah, uh, dude. yeah. Well, what that is, is that's experience right there, man. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. because when you, when you have a great, and I've had really great ADs, when you have a great AD, their, their whole life is this anxiety fueled schedule oriented thing. That's what they do. And if you've got a great AD, you've got someone that has the ability to swallow <laughs> <laughs> all that anxiety and then still have a very soft spoken voice and still be a calming person on set. But for a lot of people, it's very difficult to do that, especially if you're a younger AD, cause you're still sort of processing yeah. your skills and you're like, am I supposed to be fucking demanding here? And is the, yeah. is the uh, judgment of my task or my day, the fact that I get it done on early or get it done on time, is that what makes things important? And I think you guys did the right thing where you have to remind folks, like, it doesn't matter if we get done fast, if it sucks, because we're I'm, yeah. I'm still going to end up in the edit room. And it, once I'm in the edit room staring at this these clips in this bin that suck, it doesn't matter <laughs> that we got them done fast. Like, it, it yeah. has to be good. That's why we're here. Otherwise, yeah. it's a waste of fucking money, you know? Yeah, and to her, to her credit, she was really good at just saying, like, 
if you do option A, this happens, option B, this, like here are your options and here are the consequences of each option and now you choose. And I thought that was really helpful. So I sort of knew like, okay, I might, I might have to pull money out of my own wallet to do this if we make, you know, decision B, but decision B is going to get the thing done and get it done well. So thank you for the info and let's, let's keep going. And we did, um, so to the actor's credit as well, they digested that last blocking during lunch so quickly and so well, and because they were so, um, so clean on the on the dialogue and and the movements up until that point they were able to just be like okay we can clock it we're going here 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 got it um and that first take after lunch after we did that reblock was probably 90 percent of what you see on the final film mm-hmm. um there are a couple hidden cuts so we were able and we knew that going in like on those um on those uh swings where the camera swings to the door and back we knew we'd have a little wiggle room to edit in those places so those were kind of our like benchmarks like if we can get the intro up until the first swing we know that that's one take Mm -hmm. and then if we have to use another take from swing one to swing two we can slot in another there Mm -hmm. um but yeah after that first blocking the actors just they nailed it and then after that we had we had a lot of room to play in those last couple hours before we broke and to your credit Shane, i feel like you were doing a very good job of like and again this is where i wish I wish I was at the monitor with you. And again, if I was doing that, I probably would have had other feelings, but I feel like you were doing a very good job of also like keeping track of like what had worked and what hadn't worked and where there were issues and where there weren't. And I, and I feel like it was just so much of like, you know, I had feelings, but yeah, it was hard. It was like, I wish, again, I wish that I had, you know, I, I was relying so heavily on you to like, be like, okay, we have this section or, and when we did that, like kind of reblocking when you just felt like it kind of wasn't working, I was like, it was hard for me to have as strong an opinion as I wanted to just because it it was so buried in the just nailing marks of where the camera needed to be and these kinds of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that collaboration was so cool too. I mean, as a director, you know, when we're on set, Alex is, I'm, I'm very much like Alex, you know, I interact with everyone of course and vice versa, but Alex is very much working with the camera and lighting team. And I'm very much working with um, the actors primarily and it's very cool to watch the actor's relationship with the cinematographer. Um, yeah. And as a director, you're sort of not involved in that relationship. I mean, you are to a degree. And then there is this beautiful connection and dynamic that happens in this trust um, that was really cool to watch. And I loved watching the actors take so um, fondly to Alex and the way he <laughs> he was, one. you know, in the room, the whole thing is shot... 360, which the production designer loved because she got to design a 360 set and everything lived in the room and was as it was. And it was a very cool experience for her. Um, but other than the actors, Alex was the only other one in the room mm-hmm, when we yeah. were shooting. So it was really a, a cool bond to watch. Well, one would say that, Alex, you were the other performer, you know, because at yes. that point you're, yes. you're hitting your marks the same way that the actors are hitting their marks. And yeah. I mean, it, I remember being a young cinematographer and the first time I worked with uh, like a professional actor. And I remember he came up to me and said to me, he goes, look, we need to sort of communicate here. And I, cause I was also handhelding that sequence 
And he said to me, like, here's what I'm thinking. I I think I'm going to land here, and I think I want to do this. And he's like, what kind of lens do you have on there? And he knew the lens focal lengths, and he's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so I should be this distance. He's like, what's my minimum focus? So when you start to work, (laughs) when you start to work with a real pro, it's fucking, it's amazing. And then suddenly you guys form this bond because you're in the trenches together. Um, And, uh, you know, the that bond ends up being something that lasts for quite some time, at least with me, with me, it has. And in a weird way, I think that this is also what happens when you're a director that just sits at the monitor all the time. I think that there is something that really is special about what happens on the front line, like right there with the camera and right in that space. And, I don't know how you feel about this stuff, Shane, but when I started as a director, I was very much like a monitor boy because I was so hyper-focused on how things looked. And then as I got closer to the camera, I ended up walking away with stronger bonds with my talent, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this one didn't allow for that because of the logistics, but uh, I definitely started the same way in another room uh, at a, at a stationary monitor, monitor, uh, the way I love to work now is having a handheld monitor because I do want to see what the frame is and what it will look like for the audience um, watching this this thing. I almost treat it just like I'm watching the movie right now as an audience member and here's the frame and here's what's happening inside of it. Um, but the thing about having it handheld and being able to be on my feet is that I sort of get the best of both. I can be by the camera, near the camera, watching in the monitor and looking up um, when I need to or when I feel compelled. So I I like that balance. Um, But I know, you know, I know, you know, Tarantino likes to be at the at the camera lens watching the actors live and just knowing that, you know, his team will get it in the frame. Well, he's an extremist. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be real about it. He's an extremist. I do the same thing that you're you're talking about, you know, because with the advent of all this great new tech, you can have very small wireless monitors that really aren't, you know, you can have one hanging around your neck and you could just be looking Mm -hmm. at that for blocking and for framing. And it's, it's very useful. I, the big thing for me coming at this from a visual standpoint and being such a cinematographer early on was, you know, working with talent. I didn't have the benefit of being a 12 year old actor. <laughs> so, so working with, and I joke on the show all the time about this talent to me and actress to me when I was younger, they were a bunch of pretty little unicorns in the corner that I didn't want to scare away. You know what I mean? Uh, so, it took me a while to figure out, you know, how really to become empathetic towards what they do and how they do it and to immerse myself in the trenches with them. So that way, you know, we're both feeling each other's emotions and building on those emotions to make a character's performance, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I took a um, intensive acting class at William Esper studios in New York, which is how I met, uh, a decent amount of the actors who are in this film, mm-hmm. um, Eleanor Lambert, who plays uh, Crystal, um, Kate Burke, uh, a bunch of others. And um, I remember doing that class and I was in this moment where I was like, I said before, trying to realign with my passion and uh, reconnect with, you know, five-year-old Shane who was making movies. And I was like, all right, well, if it was always acting, that's what I got to get back to. So I went and did this intensive class and I would sit in the um, in the seats watching scenes happen, 
and Kate Burke, who plays Ian in this film, he and I were sitting next to each other. We're watching the scene play out and this really intense, you know, theater piece. And we're sitting there watching Cade turns to me and he goes, I wish I was in this scene so bad. I want to be in that role so bad. And I, I turned to him and I was like, Oh, we are, we are different. Cause I am wondering like where I'd shoot it, how I'd shoot it, what the blocking would be, who had cast. I, and I'm not thinking at all about being the instrument, you know, being the performer. And it gave me a lot of, um, I guess empathy for actors of just the way they make themselves so raw and so available. And, you know, of course actors can present difficulty and, uh, Mm -hmm. they, you know, it is, it is an art to work with actors and a, and a delicate balance, but, uh, they really do give a lot of themselves and it is remarkable. So, um, working with actors has given me like a whole new respect for acting. Um, and it's and it's amazing and fun and also can be a nightmare. But some, you know, I remember me and Alex were shooting a western short that we did a few years back called Troublemaker, and I didn't have notes. There was a two person scene, uh, an actor and an actress, and I didn't have notes for the actress, but I had notes for the actor. And I went into you know into the shot and I gave him his notes and I sort of just gave her a thumbs up and she was like, "Give me a note." She really wanted a direction and I didn't have one for her. So I just kind of pulled one out of my ass. But I remember being like, oh, she just needs something from me mm-hmm. to do what she needs to do. And I'll, I always think about that. And I never, um, I always try to be, try to have something for the actors um, to do something different, especially if I've already gotten what I, what I needed from them. Well, yeah, and I, I've talked about this on prior episodes and I've had her on the show when during COVID uh, when we all had nothing but time to reflect <laughs> on what we do, um, I spent a lot of time doing uh, digging in deep on on directing again and researching like different methods of directing. And I fell into Judith Weston's books, so I fell into directing uh, for actors and really lost myself in a lot of that process. And one of the things that she does well in those books is she talks about. Um, the director's prep, and I had never really thought about it. And after reading these books, and I had been directing commercials and music videos and short films, I I did 12KM before all this. So after reading this book, I was like, man, I'm a fucking sham. (laughs) Like, they're at a point where I was like, how do I even call myself a fucking director, dude? And um, one of the things that uh, I really took away from that was director's prep and you know how she she suggests uh you breaking down every scene before you even talk to anybody you breaking down every sequence and scene and how you're just coming up with questions and she just lists and lists of questions just in case and you're building all these different scenarios in your head where it's like what if the actor shows up a drunk to set today like what are the line of questions that i'm going to deal with with this like what if an actor gets confused here what are the lines of questionings that am I doing with this? And it become, I use it on my latest film, which has become the best piece that I've ever done. And it's got the best performance that I've ever captured in it. And nice. what I found was, is I was never showing up as a director going, this is what I think you should do. I was always showing up and going, what if, what if this happened? And what if uh, your character was doing this before it walked, walked on set? And, 
well, why are you feeling this way? And you know, and the, when you start asking questions instead of telling people things, the the flourishment is so much better, man. And the the, the stuff that grows from it uh, really has changed my work. So, um, totally, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. And, and to play, I, to, I, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just say I've not read uh, these books, but I'm I'm interested now. You should, man. I, I, and I'm not saying that she has like. I'm not saying that we, you know, we found the fucking, you know, the the holy bible with how this job works, but it's it's a fascinating new tool set that um that enabled me to connect with these pretty little unicorns even more and <laughs> the the results of it have been so much more textured, so much more dynamic and and I find myself after directing now for over, I think it's over 25 years, finally at a point where the confidence of understanding the visual language, understanding how to communicate with people, but then on top of it, now having this whole new excitement around, here's how I could deal with you guys. Um, it, it <laughs> It's such a freeing and exciting and new thing. Um, so I would definitely check yeah. that stuff out, man. I would. I think you'd find it interesting. That's cool. It's yeah, so one funny. of the benefits I... Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, this is a, a slight tangent. It's just funny, uh, Mike, to hear you say that. Laura, like, sometimes uh, I feel like you're revealed these things where you're like, oh, piece of the process. It's so simple or something I didn't think of. And you're like, oh, I am a sham. <laughs> like, I, have ne- I was like, I don't deserve any of this. I am a fraud. You know, it's just like, no matter how long I feel like you've been doing it and days that feel the opposite of that. And then, you know, days that feel that way where you're just like, oh, throwing the towel. Yeah, 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 it's that imposter syndrome that we're constantly oh, yeah, battling, of course. you know? Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like, when is someone going to realize that I'm not supposed to be here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, Shane, I, I cut you off there. No, no, that's okay. I, I, what I was going to say is I had the benefit on this one. Um, during the pandemic, when we all had that reflection time, um, I took Rainfall the Band. I had, you know, this 15-page scene, and I, I teased it out and wrote a 90-page play stage play oh cool um and really built out the whole thing that all takes place backstage of this concert venue this uh this night this band is going on and then the second act is same uh same location same band five years later um and the i was able to give that to the actors um when they were prepping and then I, I sent like these questionnaires to everybody. Um, even, you know, like if, you know, for Jeff Burks, who plays the drummer, like who are your drumming influences who were, you know, what's the kind of music you listen to? Are you in mm-hmm. other bands? Just like getting a feel for all of these kind of things. Um, how close are you to, you know, who are you closest to in the band? Uh, who do you like the most? Who do you like the least? Whose musical style do you like the most? Just like getting them thinking and getting them in that place and um i know they all really or at least they they either really did appreciate it or they all lied and said they appreciated it but uh <laughs> sort of that thing of having the questions um to your point yeah was something i did in this one and it's something i do uh with every short that i've done is i send a questionnaire after just getting a take for like did everyone have fun? Did, did oh, you, do you enjoy it? What parts of like my, what part of what I'm trying to get better, right? So like, did I do anything that really pissed you off and you didn't want to tell me on set or is there something I did in prep that you didn't like or you did like? And, you know, I just try to ask for as much feedback as possible. And some people, 
reply. Some people don't. Um, maybe they're like, I'm done with the project. I'm not doing any homework. But <laughs> There's uh, your answer. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. But uh, I always find that really helpful uh, to either know like, okay, keep doing this or think differently yeah. um, about this other thing. I mean, you know, to get to the title of your, your show, um, I mean, the process is so enjoyable for me and possibly more enjoyable than the final product. I remember on this one specifically just being so overwhelmed and so overjoyed uh and i remember when we were done the cool thing about the space is that once we wrapped we broke down and then we just had like a party in the on on set that's cool. um, that's very the, cool. on the location and we just all hung out and had drinks and just had so much fun together and i remember thinking and i think i said this to alex was like if we lost all the footage <laughs> i'd i'd be pissed but i think i'd be fine like i we did this and we had we got this experience and we got to do this thing together yeah. and it was so great and obviously fuji wouldn't be so psyched if we lost the film and <laughs> everybody would just work their asses off but i think the experience everyone got and that was the feedback we got too it was like the experience that everyone got was so worth it that um it was the process it was all about the process well it's, it's really nice to hear that man because that's it took me years to sort of figure that out it took me you know mm-hmm. a near-death experience to sort of wrap my head around the fact that like look it, all these little fucking you, they're gonna be putting you in the ground and no one's going to go like, Hey, you did a real good job on that Sam Adams commercial. You know what I mean? Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're, it, that's not going to be the, the tent poles. And when you're sitting there and you're, you're processing your life. And if you ever find yourself in a position where you're thinking about your life and you have the opportunity to do so, you're sort of going like, Oh, remember when we were like, we were all hanging out in the front porch of this place waiting for that next shot. Remember how fucking much fun we had there? And it's just those hangouts and those those human connections that that make this insane, fucking often miserable business worth it. Is is just all of the the personal human connections that we get from it and those experiences. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. I, I think also like, honestly, having done this, you know, like I, we didn't really talk about this, but like, you know, out of school, I started doing this right away, like working in the industry and I've done a lot of different jobs. Like I started in school, I did a lot of post and I, I still do a little bit, but I, I did a lot like post for a while and I've produced and I've gaffed a little and I've like, I've done a little bit of everything uh, mm-hmm. on both production and post-production side. And like seeing it, it's like, you know, just having spent so much time doing this, you, you've, you know, you see the jobs and fortunately, you know, I was in a position of being a crew member when this happened, but like you see the jobs that like fall apart <laughs> or are just stressful yeah. all around or frustrating. Yeah. And like, then also having produced a little bit, like, you know, what goes into that and you're like, man, like it's, you know, and some jobs are hard and they're stressful, but it's like, man, it's like, it's not, that much work to make it like not insane and to give people like little things to make it like enjoyable. And it's like, you get so much better work from people when you, when it's like a fun experience and like just to run the set, you know, in a, in a fun way. And, and, you know, especially with creative projects, but most projects in general, like it should be fun. It's not like, you know, like every, everyone says this all the time on set, you know, you're not doing brain surgery, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a fun, it's a creative process. It should be fun. There are stressful moments, of course, but like on the whole, it's like, hopefully people come away at the end of these and they're like, man, we had a really good time and we'd love to work together again. You know, it's like, cause that's what you want at the end of the day. Like I, I was saying earlier, like, you know, it's like you want someone you can spend 12 stressful hours with, uh, and come away at the end and be like, that was cool. 
you know, and, and it might be, you know, maybe after the process you say that, but like, you know, that's such an important thing. Uh, and sometimes that's more important than, than, well, sometimes like, you know, more important than the end product in certain ways. Yeah, I agree, dude, completely. And I, I think that it all comes down from the top, right? So it's, you know, why are the people at the top doing it? Like, what's the purpose? And you, yeah. whenever, especially in the commercial world, whenever you uh, work with folks, you feel it instantly. You feel it. When you walk in there and you go, this is a fucking money gig. Like, yeah. no one mm-hmm. at the top really gives a shit about any of this. So why should I give yep. a shit about any of this? Or, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Or you walk into a scenario where it's like, um, you know, this guy is incredibly passionate about filmmaking. And this guy loves, like, he's he's honored to be here today. And I'm honored. And I love how passionate he is. I want to be a part of that passion. I want to be a part of that experience. And um, it, it really is, it falls on us as, you know, the keys, as the people at the top, really to yeah. set the fucking tone. And yeah. that comes from the us as directors, Shane. It comes from us as cinematographers, Alex. It comes yeah. from uh, the producers. And I produced multiple things. And, you know... It's so fucking funny when you, and then by funny, I mean not. <laughs> when you think of, <laughs> when you think about how simple it is to make people happy. And wh- whenever I think about putting together a film, if I'm producing a film, if I'm putting something together, to me, it's like putting on a barbecue. It's the same fucking deal. You're inviting a bunch of people mm-hmm. over to your place. Uh, how are you going to make this fun? Who are these people that are coming to show up? What is it like when they get there? Is there music playing when you get there? Are they going to sit yeah. around for five hours waiting for you to perfect some brisket on a grill or are they snacking on something? What are they doing? So if what when you, if you have the ability to put on a party, if you have the ability to put on an event with folks, what that teaches you is it trains you to think about other folks and other people around you and how they're thinking and how they're processing. And you're like, okay, Mike, well, how is this relevant when I'm putting together a shoot? It's like, okay, as simple as what are you going to feed them for lunch? As simple as what's on the craft services table? As simple as how long do I want these people to be standing on the side of the road waiting for another van to come because I decided to save $300 and only get one fucking van instead of two vans. And man, I think it's so much like what you're saying too, is like, it's like, you know, respecting, treating people with respect and also just like, it's so like ridiculous to say this, but like treat other people how you'd want to be treated. Like, like you're saying, like, (laughs) would you want to show up to set and have like some food ready and like a nice lunch? That's not like a half of a Subway sandwich and like not be standing on the side of the road waiting for a van. It's like, all these things are just like, those are things that would piss me off, so I would not inflict them on somebody else, right? 100%. And then as a director, I find myself walking through, especially like on some of the movies that we've done, you know, like films like 12 Cam where the sets end up being so amazing and the stuff looks so great. I find myself just taking the time in which, you know, as directors, we wait around anyways. We wait around with talent because it takes forever for things to get lit, takes forever to get things in place. And so instead of me pacing around and going, fuck, this is taking too long and I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing out the soles of my shoes by pacing, I'll go hang out with other department heads or people that are working on our departments. I'll go hang out with the, the props department while they're building the next stage and I'll go, guys, take a break and let's just walk around. 
and you just sort of walk through and you yeah. go, who found this? This prop is fucking great. Where'd you get this thing? And they're like, oh, I, you know, I was at MIT and shopping through their bins and I found this weird thing. And someone's like, you know, I had to convince this lady to get on her property and her dog was going to bite my ass off. And I went in there and I found like this weird electronic piece. I go, no shit. And they go, yeah. And I go, show me how it works. Just having that engagement with the people that work for you makes you a better boss and Mm -hmm. it makes you a better leader. Well, it's like sharing a little excitement, right? It's like, because that's what like the props people or the DP or like, like people get excited about their little things. You know what I mean? Because like at the end of the day, I feel like everyone's like a little nerdy about their department and that's what makes them good at it. And then it's like you allow them to like share a bit of their like nerdy excitement with you. And that's like fun, you know? Well, and then once you open that door, and I'm on a tangent here, but once you you open up that door, then they feel like they can be honest with you. So Mm. for like 12K, because I had that level of honesty with the props team, they were able to come up to me and go, yo, all right, so you want to make a movie. (laughs) You want to make a movie about Russians in the 1980s. And so I have to get period props. I have to get period mm. sound gear from Russia in order to make this stuff work. It's like, Mike, this is kind of impossible for us to do this. And I go, yeah, I didn't really think about that when I, you know, just jotted this thing <laughs> down on a fucking piece of paper. And I went, all right, well, what if, what if these guys were excommunicated by their government and their government refused to give them any of the equipment they needed? So they had to go to the black market and they ordered equipment from the U.S., so now we have right. U.S. equipment that's coming from the 1980s, and now with the actor, I can have a sequence where he's going through a dictionary trying to trying to uh, translate the instructions on the soundboard. That'll be fun. And the only reason why that cool little thing came up for the movie was because I had conversations with the prop team. Mm. And, right, and right. They, go ahead. Yep. What were you saying? No, I was uh, not to break away from that, but I was. You have this awesome not a wonder, but this amazing choreographed shot in the beginning of 12, uh, 12 KM. Yeah. Um, that must've been quite the dance. Uh, well, that is, I mean, uh, those are different levels, right? Like there's stairs and lots of movement in there. Yeah, man. And here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. I'm not going to take credit for any of it. I, what I did as a director <laughs> is that I walked in to that set with my cinematographer, David Cruda and my assistant director, um, Vlad, and uh, we walked through the set and I said to them, here's here's what I need. We need to establish the geography of this space because this is, it's essentially another play. It's like a, it's a stage play. Yeah. So I need to let the audience know where the hole is in relation to where the office is in relation to where the sound altar is. Now, I have an idea that this should all be done as a one shot because I think that will pull us in, that'll suck us in, and it'll build the tone that I need. And I have this really cool idea of a driving sort of John Carpenter theme that'll push us through with the audience. And they go, okay, cool. And I said to the cinematographer, I said, okay, here are key frames that I want. So I want us to land here where this guy is, you know, running the the winch. And it'd be awesome if you had a work light back here. So we have one of those like real classic anamorphic flares. So that's a keyframe. I want to make sure I have a keyframe of these guys working here and I see these guys working over here with the crates. Those are my keyframes, fellas. 
take care of it. And I just walked away. And so mm. the assistant director, who's amazing, he's been doing it for years, and he's a great director as well. He's been doing it for years, and he goes, Fine, I get my opportunity. And so then he, it's really fascinating to watch him pull in 30 guys or however many guys that we had. And he goes, okay, fellas, here's what we're going to do. And he talks to everybody, and he walks through their blocking. And then the cinematographer's working with the lighting team, and he's like, all right, uh, we got to put more work lights in here. I want to work light here. I want to work light here. Boom, 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 boom. He's talking to the gaffers. And so this is all going on behind the scenes. And I, I just looked at it briefly and I went, okay, these guys got it. And I walked away to handle my main cast who were, one of them would only speak Russian and him and I were having a conflict consistently. So I had to go deal with him. So then I came back, the guys came to me, the assistant director came, he goes, Mike, you want to watch a walkthrough? And I go, yeah, I'd love to. And so I sat down at the monitor and I watched the work that these fellows had done. And I go, it's fucking perfect. Let's do it. And I had like a two or three different changes, but that's how that shot came through. So it wasn't me that did that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's why I, I didn't realize Dave Gruda shot that. I, I know Dave. Oh, you know uh, not Dave. super well, but I know Dave and I, I have a lot of, I, you know, we're similar circles, New York people, blah, blah, blah. I have like director friends who have worked with him. I have a DP friend who they're very close, like, you know, same circles and, and the, like the links, you know what I mean? It's a smaller world than you realize. Oh, dude. I mean, I mean, he's also like, the dude behind cinematography salon. So all the right, cinematographers exactly, that are yes. in there. Yes. Yeah. So we, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those parties, like they have their parties and stuff and we see him there and stuff. But yeah, I mean, again, it's a smaller, I mean, people always said it like when I was coming up and I was like, Oh, is it? And it's like, yeah, you, it is a small world. Like, you know, you know, everyone knows everyone. You're only a couple steps removed from anyone at any given time. It's funny, man. Yeah. It's funny. He was just out here recently uh, for Cinegear and they had the big parties out here. We were all hanging out. At. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's great, man. That was the first time I had worked with him, and it was uh, a fascinating collaboration because I he knew me as a director shooter for years, and so we spent mm. we spent a bunch of dating time before we got on the set. <laughs> um, yeah, but we found our language, and he shot uh, two or three of my movies plus a bunch of commercials oh, cool. and stuff. So yeah, he's great, dude. I love him. That's cool. Well, that's also you know back to you know that conversation. It's like that's also an interesting thing where it's like sometimes you you know, you have these friendships or you plant these seeds and they take a long time to kind of like, you know, grow. And, and sometimes like, I feel like you like, you know, you chat with people and you're working, you know, you people you're, you know, and you're like chatting with them and you're getting coffees and you're talking about stuff. And it takes a long time sometimes for the right project to come along or the right thing or people to be in the right position, which is also like, uh, there is an element of like waiting game to some of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there very much is, man. There very much is. But, I, I mean, dude, that's our whole fucking world, right? You know, yeah. like, as directors, you know, Shane, I'm sure you can attest to this. Like, getting a fucking movie made is a, is a, is a miracle. And then getting a feature, I, I mean, 12 cams in development right now. It has been in development for, oh, nice. for like seven years. But it's with uh, Scott Free. It's with Ridley Scott's company, which is great. But... It, oh wow! Yeah, man, it's awesome, but it takes fucking forever, forever. Yeah, yeah. And so, all we're doing as directors, I feel like, is that we're I'm constantly struggling with mental health, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know, trying to figure out ways to be patient, but also be motivated um, to be uh, a driving force, but not 
uh, too much of a driving force because that scares away a lot of folks. So it's this weird fucking balance of like trying to satiate this this need you know like a like a fucking crack addict who's had who's had a fix before and you're just like just give me more and <laughs> you you can't come off that desperate too it's, it's wild man it's a that's that's why yeah, man. I I, directors directing's uh, tough man that's i you know deeping i'm like you know yeah and it, it's different with narrative versus commercial but you know like prep the project shoot the project maybe you have some color stuff and you see some things but then you Onto the next thing. Uh, it's a little, there's a little more like, uh, it's not quite instant gratification, but definitely a little more, uh, which is to me more appealing where I'm like, Oh, I don't have to deal with all that bullshit. You know, what about you, Shane? How do you feel about it? Yeah. I find that I always have to be doing something. Um, it doesn't always have to be directing, but I always have to have some sort of project that I'm occupying my, that part of my brain with. Um, and if I let it sit for too long, I start to get a little, yeah, my mental health drags a little. Um, yeah. And that it can be different things. Like, you know, whether I'm, I'm writing or whether I'm working on a play or a podcast or just even just like helping other people work on stuff. Um, you know, there's some talk, a friend of mine and Alex's, we're, we're talking about doing like a live kind of variety show, just like, just to be making something. Yeah. I think I just always have to be making something. And, and I can get my, get my rocks off doing all sorts of creative stuff. Like even uh whatever redecorating my apartment or something but uh just to have some sort of creative project to be to be dug in on um i think is is super important because it's just the way our brains work and it's just you know there's that energy like i almost i was talking to a friend about it this morning where I, i'm constantly uh, traveling like i'm always running to la or back to new york or going you know just i always have somewhere else to be um and Part of me is like, I need to slow it down. I need to, you know, mm -hmm. move somewhere quiet in the mountains and just like take a breath. And then part of me is like worried that if I stop, I'll die. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's like, don't stop. <laughs> well, dude, I agree. Like, we, I talk about it on the show often um, with, with a lot of creators and with myself specifically, when I do a project, I get so immersed in it, whether it's like, you know, shooting a music video, or if it's putting together a film and making a film, that that becomes part of the life, especially film, right? Because if you're making, even if it's a short, a short that uh, I would do would still last like three or four months minimum of time that you're just mm -hmm. running through getting it shot, and then you know the post production, and then the advertising, and then the the commitment to promoting it. All that stuff just sticks with you. And when it finally finishes, I don't know if you feel this way, but there's like this <laughs> sense of relief. But then there's this immediate thrust into a depression of like, well, fuck, that thing's not here anymore. And now what am I doing? And But you're exhausted at the same point where you're like, I just need to take a fucking break. And then if you take a break, at least if I do, if I take a break for too long, which I think is longer than a week, if I take a break, then I start to lose sight of it. And I go, how, how do I do this? And then I start to fall into like this sort of anxiety fueled insecurity depression of like, do I even know what the fuck I'm doing anymore? And it, it starts mm -hmm. to creep in and I've been deep in it. I mean, through the pandemic, I've been deep in it. And the only thing that got me out was just doing it again. Just saying like, it doesn't matter what this is for. It doesn't matter why I'm doing this. 
just do something again. And, and then the getting yourself up, walking and doing something really pulls you back into the love of it. At least with me, it does. Do you feel that same way? Yeah, I think I do. I, uh, last, when we shot, after we finished rainfall, I think it was like three or four days later, maybe a little bit, but I, I jumped in my car and I drove up to Maine and did a two week road trip by myself in Maine, just camping and just getting away. Mm -hmm. And I think I had just sort of done that thing where I like pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed myself to the end. And then just was like, now I go. Um, and I, and I was able to reflect and be with myself and have an adventure and just sort of improvise life, uh, in a creative way, which was, which I find really important. I find that like after a big creative endeavor, I I like to do that, like go away. Hmm. Um, and then I come back and then I'm like, well, I'm good for a bit. You know, we'll be in post. We'll be doing this. We'll be doing that. And it, it all kind of starts to taper off. And then eventually you're left to like, oh, wait, what, what do I do again? What, what's my uh, use? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of curious to see what the next thing is. I mean, at the moment, so Alex and I uh, have a feature that we've been working on for a really long time, something I wrote and want to direct. And um that he'll shoot and we, you know, with the way of the industry right now, obviously things are a little, right. You know, everything's we'll, we'll at a standstill. Yeah. Everything's at a standstill. Right yeah. Now. Maybe we just throw the deck and the uh, script into an AI bot and we'll see a movie come out <laughs> 10 minutes later. But, um, if that's not the case, we'll see what happens. And then there's a short version of that film that we might do as a sort of proof of concept. Yeah. Um, but on top of like that stuff, um, the thing I'm sort of, creating right now is sort of like a creative collective uh a way for other creatives to sort of have a outlet um and mostly for like working professionals who people who have full-time jobs i mean i started making films when i was working at google Mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of people who work in you know more corporate or even just non-creative industries and they they want to make something whether it's write a song, write a poem, make a children's book, create an app, whatever it is. Like, I think everybody has this itch to make something and they might not have the resources or tools or process to sort of do it. So that's something I'm really excited about at the moment. And that's sort of scratching that creative itch for me is like building this other thing. What are you doing? You're building like a, like a chat community or like a forum or like, how are you going about doing it? So I think it'll be more in person. Um, you know, sort of mimic, because every year I go up to the Catskills, I get myself a cabin and I do like a five day writing retreat for myself. And I find it so restorative just to be in nature, Mm. be with myself. And like, you honestly, when you're not home and you're just away from your daily life, it's surprising how many hours are in the day. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in, you know, I live in Brooklyn and work in Manhattan and I can't say how many times I just come home at the end of the day. I'm like, oh my God, it's already this time. Like I haven't gotten anything done. And when I'm up there and the Catskills working, I'm like, oh my God, it's only four o'clock. I've written 12 pages. Like how the hell did that happen? (laughs) And I still have another, you know, 10 hours till I I have to crash. Like this is great. Um, So trying to build some sort of retreat, some sort of uh, course and process, um, so right now I'm doing a lot of writing and really just talking to people and seeing if there's a thirst and need for this and what, you know, other people would get out of it. That's cool, man. That's really cool. I mean, that's kind of what I do with the show too. I, that's kind of why I, yeah. I really sort of mm-hmm. dove into this is that this keeps me like you and I, you guys got me up this morning and now we're here, we're sitting here talking <laughs> about stuff. So, yeah. It's that great. Is, it is interesting. Cause that is such like a, 
you know, I think it's a conversation that so many people have too. Cause like, you know, I don't have a job outside of this, right. I only freelance in the film industry and like, mm-hmm. um, and I've done that for a long time. And I feel like that, what you're describing, you know, that thing where it's like, you know, whether it's a creative project or just like work, which, you know, we can debate whether or not that is creative. Right. Um, right, right, right. But, uh, you know, it is that thing where you, you know, you're busy for a period of time. And especially if you get like a longer travel job, it's like, it's very easy to be like in it. And it's the only thing you have to focus on, especially again, like travel, you know, but if you're, if you're on a job, you're like, okay, this is the only thing I have to focus on. It's very task at hand, which is very satisfying. You know, I think satisfies a very like primitive part of our brains where it's like, here's the thing I'm focusing on it. This is my purpose for the day. And that's it. And then you get home at the end of the day and you're either away or if you're working at home, you're like too tired to do anything else. And then it (laughs) ends and it's not like, Oh, this was a slow transition into not working. You're like, it's just gone. And for a couple days you're like, I need to sleep. And then you're kind of like, Oh, what the fuck do I do now? And it's like, (laughs) you know, I think it's like you guys are talking about and finding other creative outlets. I think it's also like, you know, personally, and I think a lot of my friends, we get good at developing, you know, weird hobbies (laughs) that occupy our time. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's also important, though, is like things that are like, not thinking about this, because it's also very easy to just spend all of your time obsessing and getting depressed or just getting kind of like worked up about it. And sometimes it's nice. Like I have a spot in the community garden near me. I do a lot of like rock climbing. I, you know, it's like these things that are like, okay, this is something a little different that also lets me like turn that part of my brain off for a while and have a different focus. Uh, Cause I think sometimes that's also just important. It's so, so easy to get so wrapped up in it and in, in sometimes in, in just a really negative way, you know, where you're just obsessing. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. It took me a while to figure out how to get a hobby. <laughs> I really did. Cause, I, <laughs> cause I, yeah. I, I thought that what I did, cause it was like, you know, I loved watching movies and you know, right. I was a comic well, book kid. Thing, it was right? all roped together. Yeah. Yeah. It's all yeah, roped you're like, in. Oh, the job is the hobby. And it's like, well, you also need to, <laughs> it is, but at the same time you need to like figure out a way to like free yourself a little bit, you know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You guys are actually, you're reminding me when I was an actor and I was a kid and I'd be in these auditions and they're like, you know, the first part of the audition is you walk in and if they're in a good mood, the casting directors, they'll chat with you a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, so, and especially you're, you know, you're a kid. They want to be a little entertained by like, Oh, what, what's the life of a kid? And like, what are you into? And I'd be like, I love acting. I love movies. I, you know? And it's like, well, that's cool. But what else are you into? And I was like, I don't think there is anything else. I remember an acting teacher, like an audition teacher, maybe was like, you got to have other stuff to talk about. You got to be into other stuff. <laughs> and it was the same thing. I was like, Oh, I guess I need to explore more of like the, what, so what other kind of movies you like or what kind you know? <laughs> uh, and yeah, exactly. Having to, but I think the cool thing about being an artist and I, you know, we all are, is that you get your, you know, you rarely get your inspiration solely from movies or solely from shots right it's like being in the world i mean um i was up in cape cod over the fourth of july and like the my girlfriend's friends have a house and they had an outdoor shower and i was taking this outdoor shower and it was uh it was late in the day and it was started to rain it was super cloudy and started to rain and i'm in this outdoor shower and it's raining and clouds above me and i'm having a beer in the shower and the water's really (laughs) hot and i was just like this is the most beautiful shot 
like this is the thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's 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 this this is the ins- inspiration mm-hmm. um that's and so, being in that is you know that, yeah. that's so funny that you say because I, I grew up on the cape for years and so i know exactly huh. i know exactly what you're talking about and the whole outdoor shower thing is quite an experience because you're like i'm naked outside no one can really see me <laughs> and the elements can still affect me while i'm cleaning myself very strange. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it was the it was the best. I was like high on the feeling, and then I come back after showering. I go to my girlfriend. I'm like, "All right, everyone needs an outdoor shower. Yeah, like, they, how do we get outdoor showers for the world?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it's really cool. That's funny. You just brought back a bunch of memories saying that. Um, but uh, all right, well, dude, guys, this has been fucking great. I mean, I'm I'm happy that uh, you woke my ass up this morning, and uh, we're uh, yeah. We had this conversation. I, I the only the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, because the piece was handheld. What were you shooting with? Was it a, a lighter rig? Because it's fifteen minutes. That's a pretty heavy. That's a heavy it, shot. It was. So there's a couple parts that go into that. I mean, first of all, we had you know this partnership with Fuji, so we had to shoot uh, on Fuji, like a Fuji camera and Fuji glass, uh, which. Um, you know, well, I don't think I, I, in total transparency, I don't think would have been my first choice. Or I know it wouldn't have been my first choice, but actually worked out really well. Uh, it was a Fuji XH2S, which is their like little I've mirrorless got, thing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's really nice. And then we shot on a, I think it was a Cabrio 19 to 90. Uh, and I had this like thought, like I'd seen this done before where we had like two ACs, you know, like we had a first and a second and I had the second pulling zoom for me. And I was like, Oh, we're going to do these like zooms within the thing. And it kind of wound up not quite being necessary and not quite working. But so that, that whole rig in and of itself, like the XH2S and the Cabrio was like not very heavy. Uh, so that was fine. But interestingly enough, like some of this came from, I I've shot a few, have you ever seen, um, 73 questions, uh, the no, I Vogue thing. It's, it, you know, they do it with celebrities and they do like yes, these yes, yes, like yes. oneers, yes. uh, you know, so I've shot a hand, a couple of those. Um, and those I actually shot on Alexa minis with prime lenses of very like cooks, you know, and that's not light. Um, and yeah. I found that really it's just, and I would just like straight up shoulder that I wouldn't use like an easy rig or anything. Cause I, I wanted it to feel a little more like part of my body, a little more physical, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I found that if you have the camera properly balanced, it, it, it's not terrible. Um, again, I don't know that I would have wanted to use that rig all day for, for like, you know, however many takes of this we did. But, uh, you know, we, we did have the Fuji stuff and that kind of thing and, and kept the build lighter so that it was more manageable, you know. Well, it's a big deal. I mean, dude, it's a big thing, right? Speaking for yeah. uh, being a camera. I mean, I mean I'm, in, I'm in physical therapy right now because... Yeah, right. Uh, yes. Of all of my camera operating for over the years and because of my yes. documentary camera operating for over the years. I, you you I mean, have to be really careful. And I think that that is a thing like, man, taking care of your body. It is such a physical job. All of this, you know, like gaffing, acing, camera operating. It, it's all very physical and you have to be so careful because it's like, you know, first of all, you need your body for the work, but also you need your body for your life. And like, I really yeah. believe that like, you have to be very cautious because I've seen people ruin themselves doing this job. And it's like, I just think that is like such a shame uh, to, to, you know, let yourself go for, for the sake of the, the job, you know, and, and let it ruin you. Yeah, I think it's dude. not a great, 
not a great thing. And it's, you know, it's not always possible, but I think, you know, it's just tough. Got to be careful. Well, it also sneaks up on you. Like you, like, oh, of with, course. Well, yeah. Yeah. With me, because uh, next week I turn 45. So I've been mm-hmm. doing this for right. a little bit. And I had, like, I'd say maybe in my early 30s, I, I remember I woke up one day and my back was just spasming. I was in like this yeah. horrible spasm pain. And so I went and I talked to a physical therapist and he had me do this. He goes, walk down the hall. So he had me walk in front of him. I walked down the hall and I walked back. And uh, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, does this hurt? And as he puts my ha- his hand on, I think it was my left shoulder, he pressed down slightly, my back spasmed. And I had like this mm. horrible pain. And he goes, hold on a sec. And he grabbed a fucking shingle and he stuck a shingle underneath my left leg. Right. And then pushed on my shoulder again and it didn't hurt. He goes, you've impacted your leg. He goes, how do you do, how did you do that? And I, and I go, well, when I am doing <laughs> long handheld for sequences, especially for fucking docs or reality TV, yeah, doing exactly. long handheld, I would shift from foot to foot and I was shifting primarily to my left, which impacted my leg in that mm-hmm. process over time over time over you know 10 years or whatever doing that stuff and so i always ask and and i i know that as a as a shooter we all get i think some people get hung up on tech right and they're like yes if i'm gonna do a fucking movie you know it has to be shot on alexa if i'm gonna do you know this thing it has to have cinema primes and especially with the tech right now, and I know that, you know, Fujifilm helped you guys out. Fujifilm's the sponsor of the show, and I'm not pushing Fujifilm. I, it doesn't matter what brand you're using. Yeah. I, I think that with how good the stuff looks right now, it's almost more beneficial to say, how is this going to be for the operator? Because there's a sense of freedom in the lightness. The takes can be longer. The angles can be different. I don't need to yep. have some sort of steady cam unit. I can actually yeah. hold this in front of me and get closer to the talent with it. Um, you know, I think it's I, sometimes I've we been, have to get over that, you know? No, I've been doing that with some commercial stuff lately where like, it'll be smaller jobs, you know? Uh, and I'm like, I'm like, man, in the past, like maybe I would have pushed for like a mini and all the stuff. And it's like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Like, it's like, it's like, let's make everything like we're going to, it's again, it's going to be doc style or something like that. And we're going to be moving around a lot. And it's like, I don't want to schlep all this stuff around. It's like, if I can have like a small set of sticks, a small camera, like even again, like you're saying like Fuji or like, even like man, like a red Komodo or something, you know, mm-hmm. you're like tiny sticks, tiny camera, tiny lens, like keep it small. And especially if it's like, like you said, like I've been doing some of these commercial jobs lately that are for like, um, they're, you know, just like shooting rooms on cruise ships. And it's like me and the like director producer. And it's like, I don't want to lug around something big, you know, and it doesn't necessitate something big. It's no. the image quality is great from a black magic, a Fuji, a, a red Komodo, like something like that. It's nobody's going to notice the difference on the, on the back end. And so like, I don't, you know, I, I, I want to be cautious again of my body and, and just like how much work it's going to be physically you know well well, yeah and it also translates into like for instance with 12 cam and uh, my new movies uh we shot primarily that was back in the day so we shot with the first airy mini and then we had russian Mm -hmm. anamorphics on that but Mm -hmm. that was just for the uh, primary shoot 
I also did all of the macro stuff. We shot all the macro stuff with a strange Sony unit that I was attaching to microscopes. Um, I shot all of like really tight, tight detail stuff with like an old Nikon D800. And mm. you just have all this footage that you import. If you do your post correctly, no one knows the fucking difference. So it, it, oh, it, totally. yeah. it, it really doesn't matter. And so um, we just recently, you know, or at the beginning of the year hooked up with Fuji because I was looking for a newer camera that had really good low light sensitivity, but it was a really small little fucking rig that um, I can have here at the house. Really, it's like yeah. a second shooter rig. And I often find myself when I'm in the edit room, and I just did this on my last short where I go, oh, I want inserts of this and this and this. Right. In the edit room, I'll just build a mini set right behind me. I'll light the fucking thing. And then oh, just cool. have the camera there and go, okay, here's an insert. Here's an insert. Here's a light bulb that's flickering. Here's this thing that's going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what I love about the Fuji rig is that it is so small. The color quality on it is so great. Mm. Um, and, I, and I had a very, because we shot this new piece with the Airy Mini LF, and I matched that mm -hmm. up really well. Yeah. But like you said, it's like, man, uh, uh, if you do or don't, like, shoot a color chart and give it to a colorist. And like, man, even in DaVinci Resolve, like, I know you can just match. If you have a color chart, you can yeah. match cameras. Like, it'll do the work for you, essentially, which is like, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy. And like we were saying earlier as well, like, you know, I used to work with these directors and we would do all this cool stuff where we would like mount cameras in weird places on things, you know, and we would shoot on like, we did a sh spot with like on, in a Cessna, like a little plane. We did a stop with a spot with some dune buggies out in the desert. And it's cool to be able to like take these little cameras and like stick them in weird places that you just can't put a big camera you know it's like yeah, it opens yeah. opens up some creativity for you as well i agree man i i, I totally agree and I, like I, I just like having right here at my disposal at any period of time the ability to go like i've got this theory let me go try this right. theory out and you know we're, we're sort of pushing towards the end so i won't get deep i feel like we could have done separate episodes for the each of you guys because <laughs> there's, there's, there's two different paths uh, here, you but. know we'll, we'll come back we got i got you know the writers are on strike i got i got nothing but time these days <laughs> <You know? laughs> but you were talking uh a little bit about how you came at it from more of a cameraman's perspective and you really weren't into the lighting perspective and when when i started i felt that way i always felt like lighting was this sort of this magician's trick like yeah. how the fuck does this work oh, right totally right yeah. and then so yes. what i ended up doing was i set my exercises for myself and i said all right mm. i'm gonna try to figure out how this game works um and in the beginning it was very fucking simplistic for me where i would just take either someone that would sit in for me or I even got my my hands on like mannequin heads or dummy heads, mm -hmm. and I just had whatever camera I had at my disposal, like a small little rig, and I would just at first I was starting with just bare bulb light bulbs, and I was moving lights around people's faces, and watching how the direction of the light changed the emotion of the uh, actor without them saying mm -hmm. anything, mm -hmm. and then I started to get an understanding of, okay, it's all about depth. That's all we're doing is we're trying to confuse the audience into thinking that they can put their hand into this fucking phone that they're holding or they can right. put their hand into the screen that they're watching. So how am I creating this depth as a shooter? Am I creating this depth with color contrast? Am I creating this depth with mm -hmm. lighting contrast? Am I creating this depth with focus? Um, and so 
having a small rig at my disposal, that's what I would fill my time with. It was like, all right, how do I light this thing? How do I do this? And it took a few years, and I worked with a lot of really great, really great key grips and gaffers that were very generous about sharing things and about saying like, hey, Mike, just because you could turn on a fucking light doesn't, (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean you know how to shape a light. And, and then you start to examine life and you go, all right, right now I'm being lit by this sun, which is back behind the house, bouncing off the house across the street. And that's bouncing off this gold car out front that is coming in here and giving me this warmth and then this strange spread of, of beam of yeah. light. Well, that's the thing, right? Like looking around and I, I was doing this for a little while and I, I think maybe I've stopped, but like even the, yeah, like just looking at light and taking photos, you know, we have phones in our pockets. You can take a photo anytime you want and being like, Oh, that's a cool yeah. thing on the wall. That's like a cool, this, this person standing next to me is lit, you know, very interestingly, like just taking photos of stuff when you see it out in the natural world. And then you go like, you know, maybe you need to show that to a gaffer, but you go like, this is something that I saw. That's really cool. Can we recreate this? You know? Well, and then um, once once you start wrapping your brain around it, I'm always comparing this shit to food because what I do to keep myself sane is I'm a I'm at home chef cook and I I make a lot of food. So me cooking is a, is almost an identical task to making movies and doing stuff. And I I say this all the time with lighting, it's like cooking a steak, right? Anybody mm. can take a fucking steak and toss it on a grill, right? So you could turn a light on. Mm. Refinement of light is understanding heat management on a grill, mm-hmm. understanding what searing does, understanding what the different temperatures of that grill are. It's understanding the rubs that you would put on your meat. It's all like these little fucking yeah. subtle little details that at the end of the day should be saying something about the characters on screen. Right. Well, and that's that's like part of that. And this can be applied to the whole filmmaking process too, right? Is like, I think there's something to be said. It's always about like intention, right? And it's like one thing to be technical or come at it and be like, oh, this is the technical way we're approaching things. But then there's this like intentionality that I think you have to go like, okay, why are we framing a shot like this? Why are we lighting a shot like this? Why are we, why is any, why are any of these things happening? And it's like, you know, production design, why is this thing, this color? And it's like the more intention you can have to every detail in in and about the frame the more just the more appropriate it is for the story you're trying to tell right yeah look i think this is a good time to end just because you know we've been cranking (laughs) on this thing but it's been a it's been a a pleasure fellas and i'm i feel very uh lucky to have been able to see uh rainfall the band the movie uh you guys doing the festival circuits right now what's the plan with the short yeah we've been um I mean, again, thanks to Fuji, they they set us up in a great position. So we submitted to tons of festivals. Um, I mean, as you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. But uh, we've gotten into a bunch. We've won a bunch of awards. We've gotten rejected from a bunch just based on the sheer numbers of submissions. And that's fun, too. Um, but yeah, luckily, it's gotten into a ton of festivals and it's doing its rounds. And we're still hearing back uh, from some and waiting on others but uh 
yeah, it's been really nice. And then, you know, I think because of the restrictions around festivals, we've had to password protect it and can't just be widely available. But coming soon, I think that will be, uh, it'll just be available for anyone to watch. But yeah, the festivals we've gone to has been really fun. I mean, it's just fun to meet other filmmakers and just like yeah. this talk about, yeah. you know, the things that only we can relate to. Yeah, man. I'm with you, man. I just submitted my piece to festivals. I got my first rejection nice. note that I've had in years, like uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, oh, right. That's what that feels like. <laughs> 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 oh, right. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> some, of them, some of them are pretty creative, right? They're like, uh, we yeah. know that you are submitting to so many festivals and we wish we could pick all of them. Yeah. But yeah. We can't pick all of them. And like whatever their, whatever their shtick is. And some of them are very kind. Other ones are just like submitted not submitted click not submitted <laughs> i wish that they would be fucking honest about it though i wish that they would go hey yeah Ryan, man here's the, here's the deal because we ran into this when we submitted 12 camp i wish they wrote back and said here's the deal even though on our on our fucking website we tell you that 40 <laughs> minutes is what the running time could be for a short if we program yours, which is 30, we can lose the ability to program three other short films. So three other filmmakers mm -hmm. can't be in the festival. So that's why we yep. rejected you. That's what I wish they would do. Or they would say something like, hey, because of what's going on socially right now, we need to fill a specific amount of things for our festival. And we've already got all the white guys in our festival that we need right now. So thank you. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd yeah. rather hear that from them because then I'd go, all right. So what this judgment is, is it's not based on the work at all it's based upon all these right. other factors that a festival has to take in consideration got it totally and some of them you pay a little premium and they'll give you notes so if you want that for just a little more money you can get uh that reasoning uh, uh some of them offer that let me say this is, shane uh, fuck that they already make too much money off my ass. And especially since <laughs> I'm paying you a fucking premium anyways, like $65, $70 yep. sometimes for a festival to be fucking rejected. And you don't give me half the money back. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh -huh. if, I do, if I do get programmed, you keep the door. Yeah. Got it, guys. No, oh, yeah. no, thank you. No, thank you. You got to be careful. Oh, with yeah. Festivals. I mean, the amount of seasonal festivals and digital festivals. And I mean, some of these are just empty HTML sites that host, a you know, in, in, uh, times new Roman says like, here's the, <laughs> the films we picked today. And here are the ones that are in this season's lineup. And there's no actual festival for you to watch these films, but we got 15 bucks or 20 bucks from every single one that submitted. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little racket they got there and there's some great ones out there and you go to the festival, they take good care of you. You get to meet a bunch of cool people. Uh, so, you know, it's just like, I guess it's just like human beings. You got to weed out, the ones you don't care and, and go for the ones that, that matter. Well, I mean, all the festivals that I submitted to, I talked to other filmmakers about. So <clears throat> if you are listening to the show and you do want to submit to film festivals, take a couple things into consideration. This will be the last thing we talk about, but take a couple things into consideration. One, uh, the chances of you screening a short in a shorts program and having a big time producer sitting in that shorts program and watching a movie and then offering you a feature is probably impossible. That's not going to happen. So don't think that you're going to film festivals to get a producer that's going to walk in because most of the time when they're screening the shorts program, they're also screening the features that those producers are there to see. So they're, they're not going to see your shit that way. And then two, <laughs> if you are submitting to film festivals, 
um, make sure that you talk to other filmmakers. And and the places to go, in my opinion, are the places that do really good filmmaker lounges, that do really mm-hmm. good opening parties and closing parties, and that spend the time yeah. and energy to put you in the same room with other creatives. Uh, those are the festivals you want to go to because what you're going to get from a film festival is relationships. Um, yeah. And I think that's the most value that you get for the fucking $65 submission <laughs> fee. <for something>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway. when you get a koozie at the festival, it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, fellas, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks yeah, so much. So great was, talking to you, Mike. Yeah, yeah, really nice talking to you. There it is, episode in the can. What'd you guys think? Um, I tried to uh, keep it as focused as possible, um, and I think that there's a lot to be learned uh, from all of us, the three of us on this on this show. Uh, what did you take away from it? What were the what were the points that really stuck with you? You know, send me messages on Instagram. Let me know what you think of today's episode. Um, if you guys are curious about the camera that we were talking about, the XH2S, uh, the camera that both Alex and I were chatting about, the links for that stuff is below in the descriptions of this episode. Um, Fujifilm is a sponsor of the show, but as always, I say this all the time: these are tools. You don't need to own these things to be a filmmaker. You don't need to own a specific brand to do this stuff. Um, But uh, there are cameras out there. There are companies out there that really do care and support creatives. And Fujifilm is that company. Uh, You know, I mean, they're they're helping filmmakers make movies. There aren't many other companies out there that do that. Let me be very transparent about this. There are other companies out there that have bigger brand names that couldn't give two shits about us, really. And I've reached out to them and I've talked to them and they're like, we don't care. And there are a lot of companies out there that pretend to care whenever there's a new product that hits the market. And then they do like a promo tour or like a marketing tour where it's like, we care about filmmakers and we care about all this. Fujifilm continues to support filmmakers even when they're not releasing new products. That says a lot to me. Right? That's why we partnered up with them to do this stuff. I always want to introduce you all to healthy, supportive manufacturers and companies because that's a big part of what we need as filmmakers and, and as storytellers in this business because it's very fucking expensive to make any of this. And you can't do it on your own. You know? And so you need help. You need the support. And you need companies out there that care i mean of course they all want to make money right that's why would you do it if you didn't want to make money but at least there should be some people there that understand and empathize and support their clients the people that they make the gear for and i've loved that about fujifilm since the moment i met victor and since the moment that i've spent the time with mike over at fujifilm love those guys so yeah that's it Hope you guys liked the episode. A lot more episodes on the way. Lots of really good content coming. And uh, if you're a newcomer to the show and you're like, man, where do I go from here? There's so many episodes. I just want to listen to all the episodes of Cinematographers. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated the episodes by subject material. So if you just want to listen to Cinematographer episodes, they're all up there in one place. 
it's a good place to go while you listen to the show. Fucking Dr. Seuss over here. (laughs) All right, guys, I got to go. Thanks for listening. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday.